It's a little after quarter past seven on Sunday the 18th of October 2020. Good evening. This is Matthew Horsepool and welcome to our coverage of the 7th General Assembly of the International Council on English Braille. It's an absolute pleasure and a privilege to be with you over this week, albeit not in the format that we originally intended. Uh, We were of course expecting to be in London at the Google Academy in May and then, well... (laughs) Covid happened, isn't that fun? So uh, we were thinking that we might be able to postpone it to October and do a a face-to-face academy, face-to-face general assembly session, you know, down at the Google Academy still, but it wasn't to be. So here we are. Uh, I'm here in my house in Coventry and... um, Everybody else is coming in via wherever they are on Zoom. The This is the platform that we've chosen to use for the General Assembly. Uh, this live stream will basically be a live stream of the Zoom uh, content, although we're not streaming Zoom just yet. Um, in the background, in my headphones, I'm listening to a copy of Zoom and I can hear people in the background uh, testing their audio and getting a few things ready and the, the moderator for the day is you know sorting things out in the background and getting everything sorted out. So we're going to give you some commentary until the start of the General Assembly, which will be in about 40 minutes time. And then we'll give you the Zoom feed and then we'll come back in periodically to uh, <clears throat> you know talk about how it's gone and what's coming next and just try and give you some background and uh, and hopefully it will all sound good. We are streaming at live.brailcast.com. Live.brailcast.com also has a podcast feed uh, and archives of the stream. So if you miss any part of today, don't worry, you can catch up. And you can also access the podcast by searching for ICEB General Assembly in your podcast client of choice. Uh, I should just say we have 150, over 150 people registered for this conference. So, um, you know, um, I'm not sure how many people will actually want to catch up, but uh, there you go. It's all there if we need to. If you want to get in touch, uh, you can use the hashtag ICEB2020 on Twitter, and that will reach a few people uh, who are monitoring that hashtag from ICEB, and the official ICEB Twitter page is ICEB Braille. So, we are on a reduced programme um, this week to accommodate the various time zones that we're working with, just to try and give you a, an idea of, of where we are. With The sessions are running UTC 1900 to 2200 daily. So in the UK, uh, that's 8pm to 11pm. In Australia, at the complete opposite end of the spectrum, that is uh, 6 o'clock in the morning to 9 o'clock in the morning in uh, Australian Eastern Time. In New Zealand, 8 o'clock till 11 o'clock. In the US and Canada, uh, 3 p.m. till 6 p.m. Eastern or 12 p.m. till 3 p.m. Pacific. In South Africa, even later than the UK, it's 9 p.m until midnight so we really do have to cram you know where it would normally be you know five days of six hours a day we're sort of on five days of three hours a day and so there's lots more uh, pre-reading and presentations that delegates have had to watch in advance and all of those will make their way onto the podcast feed in the coming days so let's have a look at the program for Today, uh, we'll start the stream each day by looking at the programme. We've got three sessions today, and it's a lot of ceremonial sort of welcome, introductions, that sort of thing. So uh, we start, as I say, at 8pm. We have a welcome from the UK hosts, which are uh, Richard West. Richard is the immediate past chair of the UK Association for Accessible Formats. 
Lord Colin Lowe, uh, Lord Colin Mackenzie Lowe, CBE Baron of Dalston. Uh, he's the president of the UK Association for Accessible Formats. And Mandy White, uh, who is at RNIB and chair of the organising committee. Then we have a welcome from the ICB president, Christo de Klerk. Then the keynote address, which is Braille, the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals in a Changing Environment. And that is being presented by His Excellency Dr. Walton Alfonso Webson. He goes by Aubrey Webson, and he is an ambassador extraordinary and plenipotentiary and permanent representative of Antigua and Barbuda to the United Nations out in New York. That'll be 35 minutes. Well, it'll be about half an hour plus some time for questions and a vote of thanks then from Christo de Klerk and that will complete the first session and then we have a break. In session two, the introduction of the delegates and observers, adoption of the minutes of the 6th General Assembly in 2016 and other procedural matters, the first report of the nominations committee and the presentation of the slate uh, that's been presented by Mary Schnackenberg, who's the chair of the nominations committee, and the president's report, which has been presented by Christo de Klerk, and then there'll be another break. In the final session for today, we have in memoriam, that will last 15 minutes, and then a summary and discussion of all of the country reports of which seven have been filed, and that will take 45 minutes to the end of the whole program and uh, a note on the program that at 2200 UTC is the close of nominations for the executive uh, committee. So <clears throat> we're running things a bit different because we're on Zoom. We have uh, three roles uh, in this meeting which you sort of need to familiarise yourself we have the role of the MC. This is tonight Mandy White from RNIB. We've heard about her already. Uh, the MC really is, is around to keep time, uh, to introduce the proceedings and to keep order. But the MC is not the chair. Um, so, for example, during the adoption of the minutes, the MC will actually pass over to a chair um, who will chair discussions in a sort of, you know, in a more formal manner than perhaps the MC will. The MC's job is to introduce and the, the, the chair's job is to manage. And um, so, you know, invite people to speak and advise, you know, if a delegate needs to um, ask a question, it's, it's the chair's job to sort that out. And the moderator is really a background figure. The moderator for today is Shabani Kaushik, who is an administrative volunteer at RNIB and has done an enormous amount of work behind the scenes to prepare this General Assembly. Uh, the moderator will be managing Zoom in the background. So the moderator does things like uh, admitting people into the room, um, <clears throat> making sure we don't get Zoom bombed, uh, making sure people are unmuted at the right time, muted at the right time, everybody has the appropriate permissions, you know, all of that sort of general uh, moderatory type stuff that that we need to do from time to time. There's also, um, if there's any screen sharing that's required, it's the moderator's job to do that screen sharing. Um, so that's what's happening. This is an overview of the day. It's now 25 past seven and uh, you're probably fed up of hearing from me. So I thought uh, to break things up a bit, I would introduce a uh, commentator to come along and, you know, help me out a bit with the stream. And I'm uh, delighted to introduce Holly Scott Gardner. Holly is a Braille uh, advocate, uh, you know, avid Braille reader, 
Braille technology enthusiast and has also had the benefit of living in the UK, living in the US, living in Colombia, uh, interest in international policy and all of that sort of thing. So if this button works correctly, Holly, welcome to the stream. Thank you very much for being a part of it. Hi, Matthew. Thank you so much for inviting me to join you on the stream today. I'm really pleased to be a part of this stream for the week, actually. For the whole week. And it's it's really, really good to have you. Um, is there anything, uh, I mean, I, I don't know if you've really heard much about ICEB up until I asked you to be on the stream. I guess people know it exists in the background. But I mean, is there anything that, you know, when you looked at the program, anything that you sort of thought, yeah, I'm really looking forward to this in particular, you know, throughout the course of the week? Or throughout the yes, course of so today. Yes, honestly, even. there's a lot of things I'm really looking forward to. I mean, mostly, I think just taking part in my first General Assembly, that in itself is very, very exciting. Today, I'm really interested in the nominations. I think it's great to learn more about everyone who forms such an integral part of ICEB. But for the week in general, um, I'm very much interested in the area of policy, as you mentioned. So looking at the policies which will be ongoing and which ICEB will be working on over the next four years, that is something that particularly interests me but I, I think everything it's it's just such a privilege to be able to take part well that's really great and as I say it's wonderful to have you on the stream so I wonder if it's worth at this point sort of going through the program in a bit more detail and unpicking some of those reports which of course delegates have had access to before the meeting and we haven't had access to here on the stream or at least you know the, the listeners to the stream possibly won't and maybe introduce some of the figures so we know who to expect so as we say the first voice that we will hear uh, from the General Assembly tonight is Mandy White. Mandy uh, is the project development officer at RNIB and has had oversight of the General Assembly practically since the UK decided to host it in, I think, 2016 or 2017 or something like that. Um, prior to uh, being the project, you know, being a project manager in her current role at ICEB, she was actually the Braille subject lead uh, and member of the Board of Trustees of the UK Association for Accessible Formats. And she's been there since 2010 and actually was an ICEB delegate for the UK as early as 2008. So she uh, knows about ICEB and knows about Braille and has really put an enormous amount of work in behind the scenes to make sure that this event runs smoothly and has, has kept people like me on our toes. Um, she presented a paper in 2016 about the UK's implementation of UEB and actually started at RNIB as a volunteer doing things like knitting patterns. So really quite a diverse, uh, diverse career there. Uh, so she'll start off, she's the MC, and then pass on to, um, to Richard West. Um, Richard West is the immediate past chair of the UK Association for Accessible Formats. He stepped down in uh, June. He trained as a shorthand typist and had a career in IT, you know, member of the British Computer Association, uh, former chair of the British Computer Association of the Blind, which is now the Technology Association of Visually Impaired People. Um, was chair of UCAF, as I say, uh, up to 2020 from 2014 to 2020 but was a member of the board since its inception in 2009 and a member of the uh, preceding organization the braille authority of the united kingdom for many many years prior to that representing bcab 
uh, on that board and he obviously therefore has a particular interest in the braille subject areas of UCAF and the uh, editorial working group he, he helps put together the Format Matters magazine that UCAF puts out. After the welcome from Richard, we have a welcome from Colin Lowe. Uh, Colin, Lord Colin Lowe, in fact, uh, commander of the British Empire, which is huge. I mean, that's bigger than OBE. And I don't know about you, Holly, but I mean, I, I think it'd be hard to be a blind person in the UK and not know who Colin Lowe is, right? I think so. I mean, even if you don't know him personally, you certainly know who he is. And I've been really fortunate enough to actually have attended policy events that he's worked on. So he's very, very politically active, of course. And I mean, you just hear about him because he's so well known as a blind person. Yeah. And do we know much about him? Because we hear a lot about him and doing his, his policy stuff. But I mean, he's got a CBE. I mean, that's that's huge, right? Um, at, in in I think it was in the Millennium that he got his CBE, and he's he's a life peer and all of this sort of stuff. What's he actually, you know, what's he done to earn it? Yeah, so um, he actually has quite an interesting background. So he got his um CBE in nineteen ninety nine, I believe. So right at the end of the last Millennium. It sounds strange to say Millennium. Um. For services to the RNIB and disabled people's rights. So this is a very high-ranking officer, and I think it's really important to acknowledge the work he's done. You know, the fact that he has actually um, really advocated for the rights of blind and other disabled people. He was blind since the age of three, and he studied at New College Worcester, which is a school for the blind in England. Um, he also became a lecturer in law, at Leeds and then he became a researcher. He was vice president and former chair of the RNIB. So I think it's really important to acknowledge the work that he's done and the fact that he's worked so much within disability rights and ensuring that actually the voices of disabled people get heard. Yes, um, absolutely. And, and a, a whole lot of work that he's done, as you say. Moving smartly on after Colin Lowe comes this Aubrey Webson, uh, uh, Al Walton Alfonso Webson. And that was the, I think, probably the longest title that I'd ever come across. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know anything about ambassadors and public policy and this sort of thing. But so ambassador extraordinary and plenipotentiary. So let's break that down a bit. Obviously, um, an ambassador, uh, it's a noun, um, a diplomatic minister. Extraordinary and plenipotentiary then are both adjectives as far as I can tell. Extraordinary meaning of the highest rank and and plenipotentiary meaning um, with full authority uh, to represent the government. So he, he is that. And then permanent representative of Antigua and Barbuda, to the United Nations in New York. So that goes without saying if he's if he's an ambassador of, of that rank. And it should be uh, clarified that Antigua and Barbuda, uh, they're in the, the Caribbean region uh, of, the, of the West Indies. So just to sort of unpick that. But he's a fascinating character. Um, I, I don't know much about him other than the little bit of Googling that I've done, but I don't know, Holly, if you do or, or have managed to pick up anything sort of, you know, in the cracks, so to speak. 
Well, I did some research on him because I also thought, oh, this is such an interesting person. So he is, if not a blind person, then someone who describes themselves as visually impaired. I haven't actually worked out how he chooses to identify. I did find an article in which he was described as visually impaired, so I suppose we'll use that language. But um, his background's really interesting. He received his higher education in the United States. So he is from the Caribbean, but he went to the United States for university. And um, he then ended up working for Perkins International. And anyone who knows about the blindness landscape will probably know of Perkins in the US. And then by extension, Perkins International, which does a lot of work across the world. So he started off there, really. And then um, he's done work with UNICEF as well, which, of course, took him then into the United Nations. So he's a very interesting person, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And it'd be really interesting to hear his speech, um, Braille and the UN... And that's not something that I really thought sort of went together, Braille and the UN, except maybe it does. Um, I, I guess is this to do with Marrakesh and stuff like that? I, I don't really know. I'm really putting you on the spot now, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't obviously know what he's going to specifically talk about, but when you look at the United Nations, so much of what they do covers all aspects of our lives. So... They advocate for the rights of disabled people. They advocate for children, regardless of their gender, regardless of their disability status, to receive an equal education. And I think Braille ties very much into both of these things. You know, they they advocate for the right to access literature, which is where the Marrakesh Treaty really comes in. So he could look at this from any of those angles. I mean, I'm very enthusiastic to know what, he wants to talk about because he has done so much international work and has so much knowledge of course that he really could take any of those angles yeah it really will be a really interesting speech to listen to so we listen to him then we have a vote of thanks from Christo de Klerk then there's a break then there's the introduction of the delegates and observers which I suppose is fairly self-explanatory and then we get to the minutes, which is this, you know, we always have to talk about the minutes, don't we? And uh, and approve them. And don't worry, I'm not intending to spend an enormous amount of time on the stream talking about the minutes, but it's possibly worth talking just briefly um, that the first General Assembly took place in Seven Oaks in Kent in 95. The, the second, um, the, the second to the 5th of November, 99 in Baltimore, the the 29th of March, the 2nd of April, 2004 in Toronto in Canada, the 6th to the 10th of April, 2008 in uh, Melbourne, Australia, the 6th to the 10th of May, 2012 in Johannesburg in South Africa. So that gives you a perspective of where the General Assembly has been. And there was a 2014 uh, midterm executive meeting in New Zealand. So you've probably spotted the pattern. The General Assembly happens every four years uh, and there's a midterm executive meeting um you know two years after you know in in the sort of in the middle of two general assemblies and different countries take it in turns to host so the uk last hosted in 1995 and so it's a real privilege to be here um literally i think 25 years since we first hosted it to host it again the minutes that we're approving at this general assembly were the 22nd to the 26th of may 2016 hosted by the NFB again in Baltimore, and they were written by Judy Dixon, who was the ICB secretary at the time. And it's a very high-level document, really, um, just detailing um, 
you know, it details the business and the discussion, but it doesn't, for example, talk about the, the question and answers uh, of, of the papers. Uh, what is very apparent, though, is that there were things that happened at a face-to-face -face General Assembly that just can't happen in this sort of, you know, General Assembly. Um, you know, the papers... Uh, I, I talked about pre-recorded stuff earlier on uh, on the stream. The papers... Uh, have all been pre-recorded and delegates are expected to listen to them but the minutes from 2016 show that they were actually presented live um, in Baltimore and so were the, the country reports um, there was an opportunity for shorter papers and you know equipment demonstrations there was there were actually two addresses there was the keynote and the midnote address visits to cultural attractions and things like the resolutions committee and the code maintenance committee which have met prior to the general assembly on this occasion actually met in person face to face and so you know the things in the minutes about how the resolutions committee report isn't quite complete yet because they've got to finalize some resolutions which just seems absolutely bizarre when we look at the fact that they've all been written already you know in in, in this general assembly um so you know there's there's that but in general i think probably they'll be they'll be approved and there won't really be any problems um <clears throat> proving that we also get to approve the minutes of the midterm executive meeting hosted by the irish national braille alternative formats association inbef 18th to the 21st of april 2018 and they were written by the current icb secretary who is francis mary d'andrea although there's some dispute over how that name should be pronounced <laughs> so her brother pronounces it d'andrea apparently um eloquence will pronounce it uh, d'andrea and i think that's sort of how francis mary would uh, would pronounce it and colloquially of course uh, known in the iceb world as fm and so there'll be lots of references to fm throughout this general assembly and that is francis mary d'andrea um other things that will be talked about in this slot are things like how countries are going to vote um so that's that's you know just various procedural things and and zoom you know how to put your hand up on zoom and stuff like that will probably also be discussed it's 20 to 8 and you're listening to live coverage of the 7th General Assembly of the International Council on English Braille with Matthew Horsepool and Holly Scott Gardner. There are 16 participants in Zoom at the moment, uh, so it's starting to fill up slightly. Although, as I say, there are actually 150 or so on the book, so we're expecting many more to turn up in the next 20 minutes or so. It might be worth... Uh, um, taking some time before we get started properly to review as much of these reports as we can sort of get time to review and of highest priority um being the nominations committee report uh the nominations committee that there are there are basically two reports of the nominations committee and the way this works is that the uh nominations committee is a, a very small committee it was mary schnackenberg uh, Mandy White from the UK, Mary Snacks from New Zealand, by the way, Mary Schnackenberg from New Zealand, Mandy White from the UK, and Darlene Bogart from Canada. They formed the nominations committee and they sought a whole slew of candidates who were prepared to stand for the 2020 to 2024 um, executive. And this prevents a situation where there are no nominations, right? We know that somebody is going to come forward and and and, and stand. So this is called the slate 
And the first report of the nominations committee is the presentation of the slate. And that um, the slate has been issued to delegates in advance, so that presentation is not going to take very long. Um, and and uh, basically what happens then is if somebody else wants to nominate themselves for the executive, they have until 10 p.m., uh, well, technically, they have until the close of the first session. So that's 10, you know, 2200 UTC. So um, members of the nominations committee, Mary Schnackenberg from New Zealand, she holds an MBA, which is a master's in business, Associ uh, business administration, I beg your pardon, from uh, Massey University in New Zealand uh, and a BA from the University of Auckland and uh, has various fellowships and has worked as a, as a transcriber. Uh, awarded the Companion of the New Zealand Order of Merit in the 2007 uh, New Year's Honours list. Um, she was actually chair of the nominations committee in uh, 2016 as well as 2020. She was the ICB president uh, from 2008 to 2012, so she would have chaired the General Assembly that took place in South Africa. And um, therefore we, we have this position uh, on the ICB executive called Immediate Past President and she served as the Immediate Past President uh, you know right the way through then um, so that's she, she's been involved in ICB for a long time the other person who we haven't heard about yet is Darlene Bogart who is Officer of the Order of Canada uh, that's an OC uh, she was awarded that in 2017 uh, she started as a volunteer transcriber in the 1960s for the Canadian National Institute for the Blind, uh, joined the Braille Authority of North America in 1992, and then went on to found uh, the Canadian Braille Authority, which is now Braille Literacy Canada. Uh, she founded that in 1991, and about the same time became the chair of the ICB UEB project committee. Uh, so she was chair of that committee from 1991 right the way through until 2010 when the structures changed and she handed over that baton um, as chair of the code maintenance committee to uh, Phyllis Landon. Um, stepped down as, as BLC president in 2012 and is just an absolutely phenomenal figure in, in the Braille landscape really and we we owe an awful lot to Darlene Bogart so it's really good to see both Darlene and Mary uh, those those very long serving ICB names uh, on the committee so we have nominations for every post on the uh, executive starting with the president uh, Judy Dixon in her fourth term she was secretary uh, from 2008 to 2016 and then was co-opted uh, 2016 to 2020 and is now uh, as I say standing for president and uh, there's this interesting concept in ICEB of deterritorialization. so Judy Dixon is from the United States but because she's the president or, or you know possibly going to be the president uh, of ICEB assuming it's not contested uh, when she becomes president of the ICEB she will not be allowed to represent the United States because she's uh, too busy, you know, being the president. So this is this is what deterritorialization looks like. And uh, I don't know, Holly, you've uh, you've toured the United States and know about the Library of Congress, which is where she works and all this. I don't know if you've ever heard of Judy yes. Dixon and can tell us a bit about her. Well, I can definitely tell you some things about her. Um, so she was born blind, and Braille was a significant part of her childhood. 
1955 she received her first Perkins Brailler. She then entered School for the Blind, but by 1960 she had returned to public school in Massachusetts where she continued to learn Braille. She entered university in 1974 where she interestingly used her first audio textbook, which I think is just a fun piece of blindness history as much in how we accessed education as anything else. She began working at the Library of Congress in 1981 on many braille related um, projects. In 1982 she received her certification in braille proofreading. She has been involved in the authoring or publication of many different books including um, in 1985 she co-authored Computer Braille Made Easy. She um, received a Special Achievement Award in 1999 for creating WebRail, an online service which allowed um, access to thousands of electronic books and magazines. So it's very clear that she's had a long history involving Braille, as much in the development of Braille as well as being a Braille user herself. The immediate past president will be Christo de Klerk, of course. Um, Christo de Klerk will be in his fourth term on the executive at this point. He was elected a member at large for South Africa in 2008, then became the vice president in 2012, and then the the president who was Pete Osborne uh, at the time had to resign in 2014. And so Christo sort of very unexpectedly ended up stepping up to the plate. So in 2014, he became president and he served out the remainder of that term and then became president for another term in 2016 but is now stepping down as I say Christo is from South Africa has been a braille reader since the age of six um, worked at his old school from 1985 to 1989 he went to the the pioneer school uh, the pioneer uh, school I beg your pardon and he initiated their computer braille production facilities and he taught braille Along with all of that work, then, he was trained by Joe Sullivan to uh, create Afrikaans braille tables for Duxbury. He's also made uh, braille tables for Liblui. Um, you know, he's he's made uh, tables, UEB tables, that have been customised for Afrikaans and all sorts of fancy things like that. Um, he was chair of the ICB Braille Technology Committee, actually, for a while. Um, he, sound, he, he founded Braille SA in... Uh, 1986 as well and uh, in 2012 was uh, the first president of the South African Braille Authority. The code maintenance officer uh, Cathy Reeson from Australia is standing for this post. This is another deterritorialized post and it's her first term on the executive. Uh, she's she's replacing Phyllis Landon, and we'll hear more about Phyllis Landon um, in a second. But yeah, another another deterritorialized post, and I don't know Holly whether you've got any uh, any information about Kathy. Yes, I do. So she started as a Braille transcriber, and really interestingly, she started when Braille transcription was really manual, done using a Perkins Brailler. Obviously, now Braille transcription is most well exclusively really done electronically um she became involved in the australian braille authority at a state level and then on a national level and she's currently a member of the executive of the aba 
one thing she does is make sure that there's high quality freely available documentation to do with transcribing so she has a lot of experience in transcription and she's produced documents for use across Australia that can be used um, and it really draws upon her skills and experience. She replaces uh, Phyllis Landon, as I say, who was the chair of the Code Maintenance Committee and then a constitutional change uh, made this uh, Code Maintenance Officer position. Uh, We won't talk much about Phyllis uh, at this point, but just to say that Phyllis, uh, in her role as chair of CMC and and Code Maintenance Officer, really, I say from 2010, so she's uh, dealt with the second edition of the UEB rulebook, getting that posted, uh, started the revision of uh, the the guidelines for technical material, um, you know the the rules of, uh, of of UEB in general, like little things like adding short forms, the apostrophe debate. Uh, Phyllis has overseen. She really has overseen an enormous amount of work, and uh, and it's it really is a testament to Phyllis that that the UEB code is uh, as as strong as it is. The vice president being proposed is Ilka Staglin from the Republic of Ireland. She will be serving her third term uh, on the executive. Um, <clears throat> so INBAF, which is the Irish National Braille and Alternative Formats Association, joined ICEB in the very late 2012, and Ilka was appointed as its member at large on the executive shortly afterwards in 2013. Um, she carried that on right the way through until 2020 and uh, is now looking to get a bit of a promotion, I guess. Uh, So, Holly, you'll talk more about Ilka. Yes. So, um, she has worked in the Braille field as a tutor, Braille producer and representative of Ireland on the ICB executive as chairperson of the Irish Braille Authority. I think one thing that's really interesting is that she facilitated the development of an updated Irish Braille code in line with UEB. Um, And this was presented at the last General Assembly and is now fully implemented in Ireland. I think I personally find that actually really fascinating. Um, And she also has a current role as Director of Education at Child Vision. The secretary will be, assuming she gets elected, Frances Mary D'Andrea. She'll be serving her second term on the executive and actually her second term as secretary. Um, She went to college in uh, 1978 to become a teacher of students with visual impairment because she thought Braille was cool. And I think that's really brilliant for a sighted person to think that Braille is cool is is really cool. Uh, She started teaching preschool blind children in 1982 and has been involved in a teaching capacity ever since. Um, she now actually teaches college students, a, a, a United States college students, to uh, become teachers of children who are blind or have low vision. And she works in that capacity uh, for the University of Pittsburgh. She worked for the American Foundation for the Blind from 1995 to 2005, um, providing professional development for teachers and has co-authored several books Uh, promoting Braille literacy. Continued to serve as AFB's representative on the Braille Authority of North America, serving in various capacities including chair, uh, when the US voted to adopt UEB, so that would have been a fairly contentious time. And she now chairs the General Committee on UEB from within Banner and 
After 41 years, she says she still thinks that Braille is wonderful and still loves to teach it. And she says that she looks forward to continuing to work with ICB to promote Braille literacy around the world. Treasurer Jen Golden. Uh, Jen, in her second term as treasurer, she was appointed in 2016 as treasurer and is seeking a second term. Yes, yeah, so this is actually really interesting reading her biography. So Jen is not only a Braille reader, she is also a transcriber and proofreader. And her involvement in the wider Braille world began in 2008 when she joined the board of the Canadian Braille Authority, which is now Braille Literacy Canada. She served as its president from 2011 to 2018. And she's currently Canada's voting member on the Code Maintenance Committee since 2014. Um, she's represented her employer Crawford Technologies as an associate member of the Braille Authority of North America and she attended her first ICEB General Assembly in South Africa in 2012 and became the treasurer in 2016. The Public Relations Officer for this term will be Maria Stevens, assuming she gets elected. She's uh, This will be her third term. Uh, she was a member at large for New Zealand uh, 2012 to 2014 and then took up the vice president position um, and is currently actually the vice president. So uh, Ilka will replace her as vice president and she'll replace Leona Holloway as the Public Relations Officer. Uh, a lifelong Braille user and... Um, Chair of the Braille Authority of New Zealand, uh, Atara Trust, excuse the, uh, the, the, the pronunciation there, Banzat, uh, serves on various uh, committees within that organisation. And in July 2015, uh, this is quite interesting, she was accepted as a celebrant, uh, presumably in the church, and so Braille has really helped her in that capacity. She replaces, as I say, Leona Holloway from Australia, um, who has done an enormous amount of work actually in Braille, uh, strengthening the ICEB website and initiating the quarterly newsletter. Other members at large that will be elected that we sort of uh, do have biographies for, but we're sort of up against the clock a little bit, unfortunately. Uh, James Bowden from the United Kingdom. He's in his second term as a member at large. Uh, he's been a lifelong Braille reader and worked at Dolphin and written you know, the Cypher Braille translator and uh, now works at RNIB doing lots of Braille technical things and um, you know, serving on the, the UK rep to the Code Maintenance Committee and chair of the Technology Committee and very active within the work of ICEB. Geordie Howell from Australia will be her first term. She's also chair of the Music Committee and she's uh, totally blind as well. Uh, she grew up and she's a classical soprano singer uh, and works at, um, yeah, she's, she's sung in choirs, uh, studied Italian, French, Indonesian, um, done a Bachelor of Music degree, uh, taught music to adults and children. Uh, in South Africa, the member at large will be Javeni Nechituni. Uh, he actually will be coming up later as the bylaws person um, in, in the later session. He's in his second term as a member at large, and he is the current chair of the South African Braille Authority. And uh, he's worked as a Braille proofreader from 2004 
uh, right uh, right up to now. And the final member at large uh, would be Jean Obi from Nigeria, but unfortunately uh, the Nigerian Braille Authority, the, the Braille Advancement Organization of Nigeria, uh, unfortunately they uh, haven't been contactable at this time. So we haven't been able to get hold of their Braille Authority and so um, Jean Obi um, won't be uh, serving, but we might be able to co-opt her later on. It's two minutes to eight. You're listening to live coverage of the 7th General Assembly of the International Council on English Braille with me, Matthew Horspool, and Holly Scott-Gardner. Uh, there are now 32 participants <laughs> in the Zoom room, and uh, I've, I'm just listening on headphones uh, to what's going on in Zoom. Um, we're just checking to see if people are coming in. We're just asking whether people are here. Um, just going through some you know, going through some last minute things. Uh, Holly, this is all starting to get a bit real now, isn't it? Yes, it is. I mean, I'm really excited. It is, as I mentioned earlier on, for those who are listening to the stream, my first General Assembly. So for me, it's very exciting, but it definitely feels real. Yeah, and it's it's good that it feels real, I think, because I sort of thought when it went virtual, I sort of thought, no, it's not going to feel as real as a as a real one. You know, it doesn't feel like a real one somehow. <laughs> but actually, it's it, I, I don't know. I mean, can you could you have imagined it, you know, going virtual? I mean, imagine like an NFB convention going virtual or so. I mean, it did actually. How did how was that? Well, the NFB going virtual? So the NFB convention virtually was surprisingly good. And I say surprisingly um, because running any large scale convention virtually is very, very difficult. But somehow they managed to capture the essence of what an NFB convention is. And whilst unfortunately we missed out on some of the lovely things about convention, like bumping into people you know, we did have in many ways a wonderful time because so many people who couldn't normally access the convention were able to and I expect that's the same this time fantastic I'm just listening with half an ear to what's going on on zoom um so I hope you didn't just ask me a question <laughs> sorry this is this is very distracting I, I've uh, I, I you know you expect an engineer to do this sort of stuff for you but here we are uh, that the waiting room apparently was really full and I didn't notice so uh, all of a sudden we've gone from uh <laughs> we've gone from 30 people in the meeting right up to 60 uh, because we've started to let the observers in. The time is 8pm and we're about to pass over to Mandy White. ICEB, I would like to extend a warm welcome to you all. This is the ICEB 7th General Assembly and my name is Mandy White from the Royal National Institute of Blind and Partially Sighted okay. People here in the UK. I am your MC for the day, and this event is being co-hosted by and RNIB and UHAF, the UK Association of Accessible Formats. And I would first like to invite Richard West, the immediate past chair of UHAF, to say a few words. So, Shabani, if you could unmute Richard for me, that would be great. Richard? Richard, can you hear us?
Has he been unmuted, Shabani? Yes, I've requested to unmute. He has to yeah. acknowledge okay. it at the end. Are you there, Richard? <laughs> Richard dial star six. No. Okay. Colin, are you there? Can you unmute Colin, Shibani? Yep. Just requested it. Yep, Colin should now be on. Colin, can you hear us? Yes. Colin, would you like to um so <laughs> uh, this is going in slightly the odd way round. So um this is, we'd like to um, hear from Colin, who is president of UCAF, to say a few words. Lord Colin Lowe. If you'd like to go ahead, please, Colin. Thank you. Um, Mr. Chairman, ICEB officers, delegates and observers. I'm very honoured to be president of UCAF, the UK Association of, of Accessible Formats. And in that capacity, it gives me great pleasure to add my word of welcome, my word of welcome to you to this General Assembly. I'm particularly delighted to be president of UCAF because that means I don't have to do any of the work. I'm just the decorative part of the constitution. I leave the work to the officers and I'm sure we all agree they do a pretty good job. Your council does an important job in helping to ensure that all the braille produced for visually impaired people to read across the world is produced in a properly coordinated fashion. I know, I know how important braille has been for me in both my personal and professional life, and it's reassuring to know that your organization is there to make sure that it remains available and relevant for future generations. I had hoped that it would have been possible to welcome you to the House of Lords, but COVID constraints have regrettably made that impossible. Hopefully, however, that is something we can look forward to another year. In the meantime, it just remains for me to wish you a very productive and enjoyable assembly. Thank you, Colin. Thank you very much for those kind words. And um, maybe we can try Richard again, can we, Shibani? Just to see if we can. Richard, can you hear us? No. Can you un? Is he unmuted, Shibani? No, unfortunately, it looks like we've got some technical difficulties there from Richard. Maybe we can come back to him after I say a few words. So um, 
thank you so much, Colin, for your thoughts there. Well, these events are four years in the preparation, and it was a little disconcerting to hear late last March from Google, our sponsors, that the event would have to be postponed. We had emergency meetings. Most delegates were able to postpone their flights to the rearranged October dates, and we hunkered down to weather the COVID storm. Sadly, the storm continues to rage in varying degrees across the world and the organising committees, I have three, um, regrouped in July to start planning for their first ever virtual General Assembly. It has been quite a steep learning curve for some of us and my apologies in advance, we've already had some, <laughs> if there are some hiccups along the way. We have contingency plans in place to deal with everything from complete failure of the Zoom platform to lunatic imposters, and we are hoping, of course, that we don't have to refer to them. Every time I have worried about the task that we had ahead of us and the ever-changing external environment, I would think of the Tokyo Olympics Organising Committee and realise that there are people with a lot more on their plate than us. I have been very lucky to attend previous General Assemblies in Australia, South Africa and the US and all of them were very special in their own unique and cultural way and although we in the UK now won't be able to offer you our royal parks, museums, black cabs and of course the House of Lords, we can rejoice in the fact that we have unprecedented numbers registered to take part in our online event and also in the breaks, we hope to give you a little bit of local colour from our wonderful country, she said tantalisingly, and we will spare you our national anthem. Um, welcome to you all. Um, I now am going to see if I can go back to Richard. Richard, are you there? Shibani? Can we have another go at Richard? Otherwise, we'll have to move on to Christo. Um, I think Richard has actually disconnected. All right. Okay. All right, then. Well, uh, maybe we can come back to Richard later. But in the meantime, can I hand over to Christo de Klerk, president of ICEB, um, to give us a short few words. Thank you, Christo. Madam MC, members of the Executive Committee of ICEB, delegates and observers, when I look to the east, I say good morning to some very early good morning to some. When I look to the north, I say good evening to you, and also right behind my back to the south, good morning to you. When I look to the west, I say good afternoon to you. Welcome here at this technological meeting. It is a great pity that we have not been able to have a physical meeting. But on the positive side, we've had the, we, we are having the biggest meeting that ISEP has had so far, with around 167 people having registered from 14 different countries. That is wonderful. And the other bonus is this is not really costing anybody any money. So there are those positives to come out of it. But I welcome you, and I am sure you're going to find this extremely informative and interesting. To those of you, those of you who are listening who have not registered, who do not know the organization very well, 
I believe you will find it informative to see what, what the organization does. And there are really fascinating papers that will serve during this week. So this was not the first prize, but let us make it a very good second one. I'm looking forward to the rest of the week. And um, Mandy and her team has made me felt very welcome. And I trust you. Christo? I think we've just lost Christo there, but I think he was probably wrapping up. So um, can I just double check whether we've got Ambassador Webson on the line, please? Can you unmute? Ambassador Webson, can you unmute and let me know that you're there? I can see you, but I can't. Right, I'm here. The host has to unmute me because I could not unmute myself. I've tried several times. Thank you. All right. Okay, great. Well, we're on for that. So, um, so many thanks, Christo. I'm sorry that we just lost the end of your... Um, you're welcome there, um, but we look forward to hearing from you again later in the programme. So this brings us to the point in proceedings for our keynote address. It gives me great pleasure to introduce to you His Excellency Dr. Walton Alfonso Webson, Ambassador Extraordinary and Plenipotentiary and Permanent Representative of Antigua and Barbuda to the United Nations. Ambassador Webson has worked for several international non-government organizations, most notably Perkins International, where he worked from 1992 to 2014 and was the organization's director from 2011. Dr. Webson is an Antiguan diplomat. He has served as the permanent representative to the United Nations in New York of Antigua and Barbuda since 2014 and served as president of UNICEF in 2017. In 2019, he was appointed as co-facilitator on the steering committee on accessibility. He is an innovator and a leader. He founded the Friends of Vision at the United Nations, a group responsible for advocating for eye health to be included in universal health care. He is considered as a champion on disability issues and a leading voice on issues of small states. The title of his keynote address today is Braille, the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals in a Changing Environment. So over to you, Ambassador Webson. Thank you. Thank you very much, Nandi. And thank you for the introduction. Mr. Chairman, Colleagues, friends, good afternoon, good morning, good evening. I am extremely inspired by the commitment of the group when we have folks in New Zealand and Australia, in South Africa, waking up some early in the morning, some late at night. And I am intrigued and touched by your commitment. Let me begin by expressing my condolences to those who have lost loved ones or friends in the pandemic. Some of you may have had a personal brush with the virus. 
I hope you are well and you are doing fine. We say so often these are strange times, but we stand in solidarity with all those who have had an encounter with the pandemic in one way or the other. Friends, colleagues, what a pleasure for me to be given this opportunity to speak to you. I recall in the past sitting at the table in the UK, in South Africa, and I think even in Australia at meetings of the World Braille Council and having shared with some of you um, dialogue on the advancement and importance of Braille. I wanna thank Robin Spinks, my dear friend, because he reached out to me and um, asked me to join this group, this group and make this presentation. Let me, let me make a confession as I begin. I, am, I have not kept up with the world of Braille. That is not to say that I do not use Braille in my daily life, my professional and personal life, I do. But I have not kept up with the technical and political ins and outs in the discussion of English Braille. And I am sure much hasn't changed in the last six years that you continue to have that debate of political nature and technical use of the varying aspects of Braille. So what I thought I would do today is introduce you to the discussion around the sustainable development goals and to tie that in into our changing environment and how Braille and in fact technology plays a, 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 an even more important role for persons who are blind and for persons with disability. But we could not begin a conversation today without speaking about the impact of COVID-19 on all of us. The past eight months, we have all lived through traumatic periods. In fact, some may say horrific, and some may even say dramatic. It's the trauma because we have sat in our homes for during what, the, what, what is called the so-called lockdown period. We have faced traumatic period times because we have looked out of our homes and in the city that I live and the, the, the residence where I am living, my home is very close to a hospital. And six months ago, you could see the hospital trucks lined up, new morgues, being trucks being used as morgues and the whole transformation of the landscape, which was across from me is a path being changed into a huge hospital tent. So we, be, we know that the pandemic has changed the landscape we live in. It has changed it so much that for many of us, where our world is explored through touch, we are now concerned about touching, what we touch, where we touch, when we go out. Our world is a different place because of the pandemic and our means of exploring that world through touch is completely transformed and changed. 
We explore our world, whether we learn Braille or otherwise. It's not simply just to read. We learn to touch and we learn to use our sense of touch as our sense of exploration. That now is uh, new questions are being asked. New questions are being asked as to how we teach and how to use touch and how we learn in using touch for our to, to exercise our ability in exploration. So the pandemic has thrown up for us an entirely new environment, a new world. We, some say it may not be forever and it may not last, but what is sure is that our world has changed forever. It's not the same world we knew in January or February of 2020. It's, it's different. We have to find different ways our teachers to teach children, whether they are using Zoom. We have this world of Zoom now, which we are at this moment using, or whether we use um, our own, our forms of Braille and so on. It's all different. And it is, it is that world of the, the new world of the, that was created by the pandemic that we now have to figure out. I want you to stop and spare a thought as you try to figure out your new world, figure out the, think of the lives of persons who are deafblind and persons who have multiple disabilities because for some of those persons, they depend even more than the person who is simply, who has lost his vision and that's his only sensory loss or her sensory loss. Think of that deafblind persons whose world depend heavily upon touch and heavily upon access to Braille and to think of how they explore their world. We know that persons with disabilities, including persons who are blind, our lifespan is estimated to be shorter than our colleagues and friends, our sighted peers. And we know that the eight months of sedentary isolation in some cases, or certainly the lockdown period has created a greater challenge for us as persons with disability in terms of our inability to act to go and become more physical and exercise and train and walk and run and so forth. We know that that affects in a greater way our lifestyle and our lifespan and our entire existence. That's the difference of which I speak. I want to see, to talk to you a little bit about how we might reset because we have developed, the United Nations has spent the last fifth, several years exploring a new world and championing a new world. Before the pandemic, we've talked a lot about the sustainable development goals. Well, the pandemic has changed much, but there is much that it will not change. We will continue to be facing the challenges of the SDGs that we started with in 2015. The SDGs, Sustainable Development Goals, were developed in 2015. And I remember spending many nights coming home at one and two in the morning from the United Nations chambers, debating and having my colleagues spend all night 
as we debated the SDGs. Part of that debate was to ensure that the rights of persons with disabilities are inherently included within the SDGs because the forerunner of the SDGs, the MDGs, did not include, did not mention disability. And we wanted to be sure that disability was mentioned in the goals and in the 165 clauses that surrounds and sustains the development, the sustainable development goals. And our countries all have committed and signed on to that. And you as civil society need to know that and to understand our place as persons with disability within that context. It is that that I wish to spend a few minutes in discussing some of the 17 goals and how we might be affected, but more importantly, how we can champion the SDGs. The mantra of the SDGs is leave no one behind. And every time I speak in the United Nations chambers and around this subject, I make sure that I say, I take that mantra seriously. Leave no one behind. It is because I believe that we ought to change the world. We have spoken for years about inclusion and, and equality. This is an opportunity for us to aim at and achieve such, but we have to do it together. In 2018, we were able to work with the United Nations to, be, to declare September 23rd as National International Sign Language Day. The deaf community has taken that seriously and have since then, for the last, what, three years, they have built it up and have celebrations and create opportunities for public awareness around International Sign Language Day. In December 2019, we worked with the United Nations to pass another resolution to declare World Braille Day on Lewis Braille's birthday. So we have International World Braille Day. It passed this year, January, with little fanfare from the community of Braille, Braille users and the, the, the international blind community. We speak often about the importance of Braille and the need for Braille to continue for generations. And that's one of the reasons of International World Braille Day. Well, if we have worked to have this day declared internationally by the United Nations, we must make a fanfare about this day in order to build international awareness and the, to get the international community to recognize the importance and use of Braille. I have many friends, some of whom came to, uh, um, uh, work in the United Nations. I include um, an ambassador also, who since I came here as the first blind person as an ambassador, other colleagues have come. And some have told me they wish they knew Braille. They're very good with technology, but they would love to have had the opportunity to marry Braille and technology so they could do some of the things in exploring and, and when they speak, et cetera, et cetera, and in their daily lives. That's the importance of Braille that I have found. Since my work here, we have been able to get 
UNICEF, which I chaired, UNDP and UNFPA, which I, of which I am the current chair or president, to be able to understand the importance of access and access to Braille. These are the kind of things, but we can only get this to happen regularly if we make people know the importance of access to information through Braille. And if we make Braille available in, 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 in real time, as I said to my friends here in New York, in real time with its, as you marry it with technology. Ret returning to the SDGs, let me just pick out a few that are of importance to us. I want to begin though with another thing that we campaigned for and to ask you where you are with this. We campaigned for the right to read. Many years I have had great friends who spent many hours dealing with it. I had the honor of spending a short time to deal with it and some time to get it ratified in my own country and in some of the Caribbean islands. But, and while it has come to pass as a resolution, the question is, are we, are we assessing the, how we are, if we are creating more opportunities for persons to have access to material to read, persons who are blind and visually impaired, uh, we need to make sure that we understand that we are taking advantage of this opportunity and we are assessing where we are. Can we look at on Louis Braille Day, some sort of in, uh, competition to, or some sort of assessment tool to make sure that we know that more persons who are blind have access to reading material as a result of the right to read campaign and the resolution that allows us that opportunity. We speak in the, as we do, there are 17 SDGs and I brought together about eight of these that directly link to us. Number one, poverty. We have, we know many, we know that we have, we have linked disability and poverty together for many, many, we know that there's scientific proof on that. And we are speaking of how we can use the SDGs to understand that we have to remove poverty. And as I say often, if you do not remove poverty from amongst persons with disability, you will not change the world in removing poverty. So we have to monitor that. Number three is health and access to health and well-being. Health and well-being includes the, 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 the opportunity for us to get physical exercise along with access to healthcare and health services. Last year, I was very fortunate to be, to be on, as part of the team in the Universal Health Campaign so that we were able to get iHealth on the, in, in Universal Health for the first time. And we have been able to work to make sure that persons with disability and access to health, it's, it's also in the, in the universal health um, resolutions. We again have to understand and monitor that. Number four is education. Well, I do not have to say a whole lot about that because all of us know that access to education is our access to the key to unlock poverty, to unlock exclusion, to unlock inequality. So access to education is critical as we monitor 
Number five is gender, access to, access to equal opportunities for girls and women. We know that even amongst persons with disability, even amongst us persons who are blind, there are girls and women at, great, at greater disadvantage. And therefore some say a double disadvantage. Some may even say triple. And we know that we have to have the, 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 have to have the need for support services and access to services for girls and women as amongst the very highest and most important um, champions that we seek for within trying to create opportunities and services for um, children and, and, and youths and students and women with disabilities. Gender parity is critical and paramount. We then could look at access to decent work. And it is about the opportunity to create, create work and to make sure that persons who are trained and persons who have opportunities have opportunities to decent work. And that's another area that we have to be aware of. Access to accessible cities, as there is work going on to create opportunities in cities and to rebuild the cities. And we know that, as I said, we're not going to come out of the pandemic the same way we went in. How do we make sure that these cities are more accessible for persons who are blind and for persons with disabilities? That remains another important challenge. And, we, and, and the, I would, while I skip a number of them, some of which are very dear to me, such as climate and water, I will skip down to the, and, and, and sanitation, I'll skip down to the last two, access to justice and access to partnership. Justice, because we want to be sure that persons who are blind and persons with disability have the same access to justice as other colleagues in our communities. And similarly, partnerships, building partnerships, not at, only at the individual level, but certainly at the national communities and international levels so that we can work together. I, why do I go through all of those? I go through those because all of our countries have signed our commitment to these. And they are commit, and we as, an, as, as nations, we are committed to make these work for a better world. Civil society, of which your organizations are a part, have are given a strong role in monitoring government's implementation of the SDGs. And we as persons with disabilities, we as persons who are blind, have to play an equally important role in, in making sure that our needs are met within the broader needs of our societies. I urge you therefore to play a role, understand and find out and be part of the global change. Let me conclude with a, to, with a few other things in terms of the environment and change. Much of the, of the effort today is about the inclusion of youth. I don't know your organization, especially now. I don't know what the average age of Braille users are now. What I do know is that 
the, the average age of technology users, whether they're blind or not, is young people. As a friend of mine and a former boss of mine used to say, the youth's technology, that's their, their generation. They are the ones who are at home best. We have to find a way to marry technology and Braille at all levels. As I say within, my, my, within the United Nations, I want information in real time. And while I can get things Brailled, I, it's not always in real time. I want to be able to get things under my fingers, coming through my, my pieces of technology in real time, that when they hand out things at, in, the, in the meetings or when things are said, I can get it. So we have to find, make sure that the youths are fully engaged in the innovation so that they can create the new change that we want in terms of access to Braille, so that they can be around in working with the organizations like yours, so that Braille can, the, the Braille can, can, can go on from generation to generation, because the usefulness of Braille in day-to-day -day life and in professional life is important. The use of Braille in, your, in one's professional life and one's day-to-day -day life is important and is significant in helping persons who are blind to manipulate the world around them. I urge you to have a look as you look at organizational change. I encourage your organization to continue your campaign and continue your efforts on creating opportunities and expanding Braille, Braille and Braille services. I am delighted to be able to be given the opportunity to speak to you. And I want to thank you for, for honoring me, giving me this honor to be here with you this afternoon for these few minutes. I thank you. Thank you very much, Ambassador Webson. Well, there's lots of insight and challenges and inspiration for us as an organization there. Um, does anybody have any questions? We do have some time um, if anybody would like to ask Ambassador Webson to um, any thoughts on that. Delegates, you're free to unmute yourselves, announce yourselves and um, ask a question if you will. This is Jen Golden from Canada. I just, I wanted to um, say thank you just on behalf of Canada for uh, the resolution regarding World Braille Day. We have been celebrating it and it as a, just on a personal level as a Braille reader, it's it's really quite an overwhelming um, feeling to just know that the United, something that I believe is so central um, in my life has been affirmed by the United Nations. So thank you. Thank you for that, Jen. Uh, anybody else would like to make a comment or ask a question? Anyone else? No? James Bowden here from the UK. Mm -hmm. Go I ahead, wonder, James. Do you know, Ambassador, if any research has ever been undertaken about the average age of Braille readers? Um, 
No, I do not know. And that's one of the challenges I put forward to you and your, the organization that you guys should do a study, do some research on understanding the average age of Braille readers. When I was in the field, it was always felt that Braille readers were, um, the average age was getting older and older amongst Braille readers. But I think it would be very good to get some scientific data on this. And maybe that's one of the things you can task yourself with for the next in the World Braille Day. Excellent. Um, anyone? I, I think there's, uh, yeah, we've got lots of resolutions um, that we're putting together for the meeting. So um, I'm sure we'll consider that one. Uh, anybody else have anything for um, they'd like to say, make a comment or ask a question? No. Okay. So um, I would like to hand over to um, Christo de Klerk, um, the president of ICB, to say a few words, a vote of thanks, please, Christo. Thank you. Thank you, Ambassador Webson. I wish to thank you sincerely for this very thought-provoking, interesting, and also challenging talk. Many of us have heard you often before, and we were looking forward to hear you again because we, we always find your talks interesting and challenging, and we know your commitment to Braille. You've given us a lot of food for thought, you've given us pointers, challenges, and a lot that we can take back with us from here. One often hears the mantra that technology will make Braille redundant. I agree with you absolutely that Braille and technology should be married. And we need to address that misconception. The other matter you raised about the right to read that right is being denied by countries who have not acceded to the Marrakesh Treaty. And that process needs to be stepped up. So thank you so much. We are taking with us a lot of what you said. Um, we enjoyed your talk. We found it very interesting. And um, from all of us, our sincere thanks. Thank you very much, Christo. And thank you, Ambassador Webson, once again. Thank um, you, and I, I'd just like to greet my friend, Lord Lowe. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> I'm not sure he's able to unmute himself, but I'm sure he'd say hi back if he could. <laughs> and Christo, I remember you very well too. So thank you very much, all colleagues. Thank you. And um, jump off now. Okay, thank you. Um, Shabani, I'm just wondering if there might be a chance that we could um, get Richard on the line. Can yep. you unmute him and let me know when that's done? Yeah, I've asked. So Richard, are you there? Nope. Richard, are you there to join us? No. 
Okay. Um, so what I'd like to do now is take a short break. Um, that wraps up um, our first session, apart from unfortunately not Richard. Um, it will take a short break of five minutes. So please take your time to stretch your legs, make a cup of coffee or take a comfort break. If you are still within earshot of your audio device, you will hear an audio postcard being played from somewhere in the UK. So um, in, let's have a look. Uh, yeah, if you'd like to play that, um, Shabani, and we'll speak to you all in five minutes time. Thank you. And so there you have it. And uh, on the stream, we're not going to be listening to those postcards, but please don't panic. Uh, the postcards will be available on the podcast. But I really wanted to uh, touch base with Holly after that speech. I don't know about you. To me, that was a really... Uh, quite inspirational speech. I'm not sure what I was expecting from the speech, but I don't think I was expecting that. I mean, what did you think? I thought it was excellent. I mean, for me personally, it was quite political. I think it was political in the sense that um, Ambassador Webson referred to for example, the inequalities faced by women and girls, even within the disability and blind community, which is something that I don't think we often talk about that much. And that's very much a UN position and it's really important to discuss. I also really appreciated his comments about technology and how we must use Braille and technology together so that blind people can have access to information at the same time as everybody else. Yeah, and it was just a generally, like, I mean, as somebody who is not particularly political, like, for me, it was just really interesting to hear more about the UN. I mean, we I know about World Braille Day. I knew yeah. that the UN had kind of, like, had something to do with it. But, you know, to actually learn who it was that put mm. that motion forward and uh, d how it was accepted and to know about the sustainable development goals and, and you know, how the UN is is thinking about Braille. I mean, to me, that was just really quite encouraging, I suppose. I think it's really important and it, it's vital that the UN does continue to do this. And it definitely seems like Ambassador Webson is very committed to that, which I think is incredibly important because we do need the support of the UN and then, you know, in our role as people who work in the field or blind people ourselves, we also need to support their goals. So it it's a great relationship, I think, and it's so much needed. And I, I mean, what really stood out for me is just the level of commitment and the dedication from so many people. Absolutely. It was just staggering. I, I, I feel like I need yeah. to go and listen to that speech again, like, and take notes. Yeah, me too. Like, it was just such a fabulous speech. I, I'm kind of a bit lost for words now about what to say about it. Um, but, I mean, the you know, it was, it was what it was. Uh, really, really good. Absolutely fantastic and really glad we were able to bring that to you. It's quarter to nine, so uh, we are... Uh, running ahead of schedule and the postcard has just finished playing on Zoom. Uh, so uh, Mandy's just announced that there's a few more minutes to go. So just to look ahead to the next session, uh, we're starting off with the introduction of delegates and observers. So how this is going to work, and Mandy will explain this in a bit, but how this will work is that the delegates will be asked to introduce themselves. Um, so there's four delegates for each country and there are seven countries in total here. We have the UK, Australia, Canada, 
Ireland, New Zealand, South Africa and the United States of America. We do also have Nigeria, but there's no Nigerian delegation. So, um, you know, so just listening on Zoom, people have started to comment on the postcards. That's great. So the seven delegates, uh, sorry, seven countries, four delegates. So that means there are uh, seven fours, 28 delegates who will introduce themselves. And then what we'll do is we'll go around every country in alphabetical order. And then um, at the end, once all four of those delegates have introduced themselves, there will be a list of the number of observers. So we're not going to ask the observers to introduce themselves. As I say, we've got 150 uh, signed up. We've got um, a fair old number of people in the Zoom meeting. Um, I'm just trying to get a count. Um, I can't actually get a count just at the moment. There we go, 64, 64 in the Zoom meeting. So that's quite consistent. Nobody dropped off during Aubrey's speech, which I think was good, really. Um, and then obviously we carry on to talk about the minutes and we talk about um, uh, what else have we got in this session? The nominations committee, uh, which we just announced, and then there'll be um, another break. So I'm just keeping an eye on the clock. Um, 2046. Um, this is always, <laughs> I sort of feel like a journalist, you know, on those press briefings where they would sort of say, oh yeah, we're, we're just sort of, <laughs> buy, you know, buying time now until we can get started again. I don't know if there's anything you wanted to add. It, it does feel a bit like that. Yeah, I mean, and um, for me, I think it's, it's, it's a strange experience, particularly because I've never been to a General Assembly before, so it's very exciting, but it does feel like I imagined we'd be really scrambling to even get five minutes, but as it is, we're actually doing quite well for time, which I think is a bit disconcerting. We really are. And poor Mandy, right? Having to deal with Richard and... Mm. and I mean, look, technical problems happen. They're not really anybody's <laughs> poor Richard. fault. But yeah, well, poor Richard, indeed. Um, not Not getting to speak. <laughs> Well, we've just heard the bell, and uh, so we'll we'll hear about the bell in a second. Um, Mandy has a bell. It's actually not a bell. It's a it's a wine glass. She told me uh, confidentially off air. Um, but so the bell has just rung. So that bell means that we've got one minute now uh, to go until we start. So I am going to fade uh, Zoom back up again on the stream just so you've got an idea. As I say, uh, twenty forty seven in the UK. So just after quarter to nine so if we if we run to time that means we'll be done by quarter to ten in this next session i guess and you know we might even finish early but that's kind of useful because the third session is country reports and in memoriam and it'd be quite useful if they overran uh, welcome let's get back, back everybody. to mandy hope you're all feeling refreshed and you enjoyed our postcard from london there'll be postcards from lots of other places um around the UK as we head on through the rest of the week. Um, our first item to deal with in this section is the protocol for online meetings. Firstly, the need for timeliness. We are compressing five eight-hour days into five three-hour days, so we need to be quite strict with timekeeping. Um, so to help with this, I'll flag five minutes and one minutes before the end of sessions. Um, next, uh, Zoom does have a video function, and whilst we realise that it's very much a personal choice, if you would like to enable your video, we would encourage you to do so. It does help light-dependent people to stay engaged with proceedings. 
Um, everyone should keep their microphones muted when they are not speaking. This happens automatically for observers, but delegates and the day's presenters are able to mute and unmute their own microphones. Um, during discussions, ICB delegates and presenters, you can request the floor by unmuting your microphone and stating your full name and country and um, wait to be acknowledged by the chair before you continue speaking. And to toggle your own microphone, um, this is delegates and presenters, on Windows, it's Alt and A, on Mac OS, it's Option and A, and on iOS, you find the mute button in the bottom left corner of your Zoom app. And on the phone, you press star followed by number six to mute and unmute. Um, we hope time will allow observers to ask questions. You'll be invited to raise your hand at the appropriate time. Um, on Windows, to, this is to raise your hand, it's um, Alt and Y. On Mac, it's Option and Y. On iOS, you press the More button and then press the Raise Hand function. And on the phone, to raise your hand, it's star followed by the number nine. Moderators will unmute mics and invite you to speak and the raised hand function should be used for questions directly linked to the debate. And a final note for those of you familiar with Zoom, the chat box function has been disabled for this event. I think that's everything on the workings of Zoom. Just a quick note on contingency planning. If for any reason the platform fails, we can assure you we'll be doing our level best to get it back. We have all your email addresses, so you'll be emailed with details of what the amended plans are. These details will also be posted on Twitter and on the conference website. So, right, let's see who's here. Time to introduce the official delegates. So we have four delegates for each of the seven member countries. I will go to each of the countries in alphabetical order. And if you could give your name, working role and position within ICEB if you have one. So firstly, Australia. Aust Hi. Leona Holloway here for Australia. Um, I'm a research assistant at Monash University and within ICEB, I am the public relations officer. Thank you, Leona. Kathy uh, Reeson from Australia. Can you? Yeah, um, yeah we can hear you. Good. Uh, transcriber with South Australian School for Vision Impairment. Um, executive member of the Australian Braille Authority and currently the chair of the Code Maintenance Committee of ISEB. Thank you, Cathy. Geordie or Sam? Can't unmute. <laughs> Hello. Sorry about that. Um, I'll go. Uh, Sam Taylor. I work um, as a trainer and sales consultant at Pacific Vision International um, Technology Company, and um, yeah, work on the um, Australian uh, Executive Committee. Thank you, Sam and Jordy. Hi, I'm Geordie Hal. I'm uh, chair of the Australian Braille Authority and I am 
chair of the ICEB Music Committee, as well as uh, chair of the Australian delegation. Thank you very much, Geordie. So on to Canada. I'm Jen Golden. I'm an accessibility compliance specialist for Crawford Technologies, immediate past president of Braille Literacy Canada and treasurer of ICEB. Thanks, Jen. Phyllis Landon. Uh, I'm a part-time volunteer for CNIB, I guess you could say, and I'm the past chair of the Code Maintenance Committee for ICEB. Thank you, Phyllis. Natalie Martiniello. I am the president of Braille Literacy Canada, and uh, I also work as a rehabilitation specialist. Happy to be here. Thank you, Natalie. And lastly, Hi, my name is Melanie Romer Noel. I'm a Braille transcriber at CNIB, and I'm the CNIB rep on the BLC board. And like Natalie, I'm very happy to be here. Thank you, Canada. Over to Ireland. Hello, Ilka Staglin here. Um, I'm Director of Education at Child Vision, the Irish Education Centre for Blind Children. I'm also the chair of the Irish Braille Authority, and I'm a member at large on the ICB executive. Thank you, Ilka. Hi, everybody. I'm Sorry. Hi, everybody. Um, I'm Stuart Lawler. I'm, um, I work for a company called Sight and Sound Technology Ireland. Uh, I manage our um, services here, and I'm also a member of the Irish National Braille and Alternative Formats uh, Committee. Thank you, Stuart. I am Brian Dalton, Braille transcriber with Child Vision and also a member of InBath. Thank you, Brian. And lastly, I'm Donald Fitzpatrick. I am a member of InBath as well, and I work as a lecturer at the School of Computing in Dublin City University. Thank you very much, Donald. Thank you, Ireland. Over to New Zealand. Oh, it's Maria here. The video is not on, I don't think. Oh, uh, Maria Stevens from New Zealand. I'm a Braille reader. I chair the Braille Authority of New Zealand at Yeroa Trust. I'm vice chair of ICEB and I manage the accessible format service at, services at Blind Low Vision, NZ. Thank you, Maria. Hello, uh, my name is Lena Coleman. I am a Braille proofreader at Blind Low Vision NZ and also am on the trust of uh, Braille Authority of New Zealand Aotearoa Trust. Thank you. Hi, my name is Hi, my name is Chantal Griffiths. I am a, an adaptive communications and technology and Braille instructor at Blind Low Vision NZ. I'm also a trustee of uh, on the Braille Authority of New Zealand. Thank you, Chantal. And hello, everyone. I'm Mary Schnackenberg, uh, current current secretary treasurer of the Braille Authority of New Zealand. Thank you, Mary. And thank you, New Zealand. Over to South Africa. Good day, everybody. My name is Nchavene Nachituni. I'm the current president of South African Braille Authority. I'm working for the University of South Africa as a Braille proofreader and transcriber. Thank you. And I'm the member at large for ICEP. Thank you. Thank you, Nchavene. Greetings to you all. My name is Jay Snaya. Uh, I am the CEO at Blind Essay, uh, a member of the South African Braille Authority. 
It has been good to be here. Thank you. Thank you, Jade. Have we got Niels or Dina? Okay, can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah, we can hear you. Oh, great. But, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Uh, and I'm, I work for the University of South Africa, but I'm also the treasurer of the South African Braille Authority and glad to be here. Thank you, Dina. And do we have Niels? Yes, uh, Niels Mateser uh, from Prince of School for the Visually Impaired, head teacher of music, and also serves on the ICEP Music, uh, Braille Music Committee. A representative of South Africa. Thank you. And of course, we have Christo. So thank you, South Africa. And moving on to United Kingdom, please. Hello, I'm James Bowden. I work in RNIB as the Braille Technical Officer. I'm also the chair of the Braille Coding Group at UCAF, member at large for ICEB and chair the ICEB Technology Committee. Thank you, James and Margaret. So, uh, transcriber and proofreader, uh, laterally with the Scottish Braille Press. Uh, I'm also a member of the UK Braille Coding Committee. And next we have Jim. Do we have to unmute Jim Shibani? Jim McCafferty. Sorry, Jim seems to have dropped off. All right. Okay. So, um, Dave, perhaps you could introduce yourself and Jim. Jim McCafferty, uh, apologies. He will be here throughout the week uh, and is also a delegate from the UK. I'm Dave Williams. I work on customer experience for the RNIB and I'm also the chair of the Braillists Foundation in the UK. Thank you very much, United Kingdom. And lastly, but by no means least, United States, please. <clears throat> Hello, everybody. This is Frances Mary D'Andrea. <clears throat> I am an assistant professor of practice at the University of Pittsburgh uh, in uh, their um, personal preparation program for uh, teachers of children with visual impairments. And I am the ICEB secretary as well. Thank you, FM. Anyone else from the States? Judy, Jan, Jennifer? Sometimes these key strokes just don't work. <laughs> good afternoon, good evening, good morning, everyone. I'm Judy Dixon. I am the Consumer Relations Officer for the National Library Service for the Blind and Print Disabled, part of the Library of Congress. I am Secretary of the Braille Authority of North America, and I am a member of the ICEB Executive. Thank you, Judy. Hello, everyone. I'm Jennifer Dunham. I'm the Manager of Braille Programs for the National Federation of the Blind. I'm the immediate past chair of the Braille Authority of North America. Thank you. Thank you, Jennifer and Tamara. Hello, everyone. I'm Tamara Rory. I am the Braille Development Officer for the National Library Service for the 
uh, blind and print disabled, which is part of the Library of Congress, and I'm the current chair of the Braille Authority of North America. Thank you. Thank you, delegates. Lovely to hear your voices and, and welcome to the welcome to the General Assembly. So we're also really happy to be welcoming so many observers to this assembly. Unfortunately, we do not have the time for you all to introduce yourselves. Uh, there are over 160 of you registered, not only from the delegate countries, but also places as far afield as India, Iran, Panama, Samoa, Netherlands, um, uh, Denmark. So a warm welcome to each and every one of you. Um, we now have um, some procedural matters to take care of, and our President Christo uh, de Klerk will move to adopt the minutes of the Sixth General Assembly from 2016 and also approve the agenda for the current General Assembly 2020. And then Christo, if you could hand over to Mary, Mary Schnackenberg for the Nominations Committee report when you have finished, that would be grand. Thank you, Christo. Thank you, MC. Are there any additions to the agenda? And I would request FM to take note of those, please. Any additions? I haven't been notified of any, Christo, so I'm Thank not. You. In that case, can we have a motion to adopt the agenda? Yes, Christo. Thank you. Okay. Anyone against adoption of the agenda as it is? Fine. Thank you. Then the minutes of the Sixth General Assembly have been circulated. Can we have a motion to adopt or is there a motion to amend anything in the minutes? Francis Mary moves the adoption of the minutes from the last GA. Thank you, FM. Second, seconder. Second. Oh. Anyone against? No, then we adopt and thank you very much. Uh, minutes, compiling minutes is a difficult task and uh, no motions to amend anything, so it's been a good job. Thank you very much for that. Then I would like to call on Mary Schnackenberg, Chair of the Nominations Committee, to present her first report, please. Thank you, Christo. This is the 2020 Nominations Committee report with the slate, the list of candidates for the 2020-2024 term. This is from the ICEB 2020 Nominations Committee, Mary Schnackenberg, Darlene Bogart and Mandy White. And it's to the Executive Committee and members of the International Council on English Braille. The Nominations Committee is pleased to propose the slate of candidates for the 2020-2024 term of the ICEB Executive Committee. Each of the individuals listed below has agreed to stand for election and is supported by the Braille Authority of his or her member nation. We sincerely thank each member 
for their willingness to serve ICEB during the 2020-2024 term. These candidates are being elected at this virtual gathering on Zoom. Further nominations may be sent by email to the nominations committee by the end of today's session. The email address is icebconference at rnib.org.uk. That's the address the conference is currently using. The nomination must be accompanied by the consent of the nominee and a brief biography indicating the candidate's expertise and experience in the Braille field. On day two, we will let you know if we have received any additional nominations and their roles. We will circulate the names with biographies to the delegates. On day four in session eight is the second report of the nominations committee followed by elections if there are additional nominations. If there are any contested roles, then delegations will retire to breakout rooms and email icebconference at rnib.org.uk with their choice of candidate. If there are no additional nominations, we will still use some time on day four to approve the slate as presented. Elected candidates take office at the close of the General Assembly on day five, which is Thursday the 22nd of October 2020 at 2200 UTC. Now for the slate. Officers, President Judy Dixon, United States. Please note that the president is deterritorialized upon election. Immediate past president, Christo de Klerk, South Africa. If the proposed change to the constitution is adopted, the immediate past president will also become deterritorialized upon election. Code maintenance officer, Kathy Reeson, Australia. Please note that the code maintenance officer is deterritorialized upon election. Vice President, Ilka Staglin, Ireland. Secretary, Francis Mary D'Andrea, United States. Treasurer, Jen Goulden, Canada. Public Relations Officer, Maria Stevens, New Zealand. Members at large, James Bowden, United Kingdom, Geordie Howell, Australia, Enchevini Netsachuni, South Africa. Unfortunately, the position from Nigeria is, is vacant. We very much regret that at this stage, we have not <coughs> been able to establish direct communication with Jean Obi's member organization in Nigeria to confirm their country's nomination to the executive committee.
Just a reminder, if you wish to make any further nominations, we must receive them by the end of today's session. The email address again, icebconference at rnib.org.uk. That brings me to the end of our report and sincere thanks to my nominations committee colleagues and to all the people who have agreed to put their hand up to serve for the next term. Thank you. Thank, thank you very you. thank you very much Mary and now for the final part of this session I will ask Christo to present the president's report. Thank you Mandy. I've changed the format of the report since the previous one in that I've not reported on the work of committees. I've taken that out because um, in the past, it, it made for duplication and I think uncertainty and um, member countries and committees might have felt that I've stolen their thunder, the things they wanted to report on. So the work of the committees and of member countries will be found in their reports. My report has been circulated, so I'm not going to go through it in detail. I'll mention a few highlights. Uh, but I will also do a few explanations to those who do not know our organization very well, especially those who are listening to the live streaming and have not received documentation. The International Council on English Braille currently has eight member countries. Seven of them are present here. You've just heard that uh, we have a gap with Nigeria at this stage. Um, the other member countries are United States, Canada, the UK, Ireland, South Africa, Australia, and New Zealand. ICEB's executive committee consists of the president. Uh, I was elected president at the General Assembly in uh, Baltimore in 2016. The Vice President is Maria uh, Stevens from New Zealand. Frances Mary Dandria, FM as we call her, is the Secretary, she's from the US. Jen Goulden, the Treasurer, is from Canada. Leona Holloway, Public Relations Officer is from Australia. Phyllis Landon was elected Code Maintenance Officer. Um, she stepped down when the term expired and we couldn't have the General Assembly. And we then co-opted uh, Kathy Reeson to fill the position. Jean Obi, um, was elected as member-at-large for Nigeria, Nchaveni Nechituni for South Africa, Ilka Steglin for Ireland, and then the executive committee also co-opted uh, Judy Dixon on account of 
her vast expertise. Then ICEP does its work through committees. We have permanent committees and technical committees. Permanent committees are the finance committee, the bylaws committee, nominations committee, the code maintenance committee, and then if a constitutional amendment goes through also the a public relations committee. Technical committees are then a music braille committee, braille technology, uh, and at the moment uh, still the public relations committee. And a newly established research committee of which uh, FM is, is the, the chair. The International Council on English Braille has its General Assembly once every four years. The organization was established in 1991. Its first General Assembly was in 1995, and this is the seventh. In the middle of the term, we have a midterm uh, meeting, and our newest member, Ireland, so they were open to host the midterm meeting, which was particularly interesting event and lots of good work also got done there. For the rest, the executive committee generally meets virtually um, every three months. If I can just mention a few of the particular highlights. Um, our website has been basically redeveloped and very much enhanced. We started distributing a quarterly newsletter which has proved to be very popular and informative. Also the newly established research, uh, FM has supplied us regularly with very interesting research information. Mention has been made of resolutions. A number of resolutions were adopted at the previous General Assembly uh, they were all they listed uh, in my report. You'll find them there. Uh, most of them have been actioned, but some of them not yet. The new nominee, the new um, resolutions committee, has taken over the resolutions and are working on new ones, which they will confront you with later on. few other interesting uh, items. Uh, during this period, uh, UEB, or, or rather, um, non-English uh, non codes in parts of the world 
have been adapted according to the philosophies and principles of the UEB. In Ireland, there is the, the new Irish uh, code, uh, the Unified Irish Braille UIB code. And also in, uh, I believe also the Welsh code uh, has been um, unified. In Nepal, the code for the Nepalese language has also been unified. So it, it seems that people find the principles of the Unified Braille Code extremely helpful. And that is why these other codes for other languages are adopted accordingly. Then, just in conclusion, it has been a great pleasure and an honor for me to serve as a president of such a worthy body. As my term of office as president of ICEB comes to an end, I also wish to thank my committee for their support and the hard work they put in during the past four years to advance the UEB in member countries and elsewhere. I wish the incoming executive committee everything of the very best for the next uh, term of office. As immediate past president, I will pledge my support to our new president. Now, <laughs> this is always where the difference different interpretations of words in, in various languages amuse me a little. In some countries, when you table something, you open it up for discussion. In other countries, when you table it, you put it away for another day. So I'm not going to say, as we would in South Africa, in our table, my report. Um, so let me say, I now submit my report and I open it for any discussion or questions and answers. I thank you. Thank you, Christo. So, um, does anybody have any questions on Christo's report? Any thoughts and comments? Would anybody like to make? Delegates? No? Okay, so Christo, just um, I would like to say um, on behalf of everybody, thank you very much so much for all your hard work over the um, last four years, well, longer, I think. Um, there will be time on our final day to do proper thank yous. But in the meantime, thank you very much for your report. And um, 
we will now it's time for our second break of the evening we're doing very well time wise everybody so thank you very much for that um once again please take the time to get some refreshments morning coffee a late mug of cocoa cup of afternoon tea um and if you're listening into your device you will hear a postcard this time from a different part of great britain and it's 2121 so um uh, we will see you back here at just part 2126 how about that okay look forward to seeing you shortly thank you yes indeed you're listening to live coverage of the seventh uh, general assembly of the international council on english braille and there you go shabani has just started sharing oh guess what she's just started sharing <laughs> i think i recognize that voice <laughs> <laughs> so I'm gonna um I did one of those I, I I sort of knew that it was gonna go out today but um I, I I didn't get a schedule for those until quite late on so I wasn't actually completely sure it was gonna go out today but uh but there you go so that was fairly middle of the road uh do you think I mean is there anything I mean obviously as an ICEB person I kind of feel like that was fairly middle of the road I don't know if you've got any comments on it as a non-ICEB person, whether it taught you anything. Uh, was it nice to hear the delegates? Many of their names and know a bit about them, so it was nice to hear some of their voices. And of course, for me as well, some familiar voices in there, which was nice as well. It's always that thing I think when you go to, um, certainly for me, anything in the blindness field, when you've been here long enough or grown up in it, you, you grow to recognise people. So that's always nice. In terms of the report, I thought it was, I mean, uncontroversial, which is obviously a good thing. It, it brought up lots of nice things that have been happening, the newsletter, um, the Unified Irish Braille, which I think is really interesting. Um, I definitely actually want to read more about that. So I thought the whole session was quite nice. Yeah, uncontroversial is probably the right word. Um, I think uncontroversial is probably about where we are in ICB in general at the moment. And uh, by the way, uh, slight apology to people listening on the live stream who didn't hear the first part of Holly's uh, correspondence there. Um, we have now rectified that problem. Most of it came through. There was just uh, the first uh, 10, 15 <laughs> seconds or so when uh, I forgot to press a button and therefore That's I could okay. hear you. Uh, but but the stream couldn't. Um, oh. But yeah, broadly, you know, uncontroversial is, is, I think, probably a fair assessment of the situation. Um, there are a few bits of information that I was hoping hoping to get um, that we didn't get. Um, for example, in the list of delegates, we got a list of observers. Uh, well, we got to know how many observers there were, but we didn't get a breakdown by country. Um, I do have that data set. So in, Octo uh, in October, <laughs> in Australia, uh, there are 32 uh, people registered. So obviously subtract four from all of these because you've got delegates. And obviously some of them are presenters as well, but 32 in total, including the delegation, from uh, Australia, 18 from Canada. Uh, we had one person from India, um, so that's kind of cool. One person from Iran, um, he presented a paper, so it's really good to see him on the list. Five people from Ireland, so that's four delegates plus one observer. Uh, two people from the Netherlands, five people from New Zealand, so again, that's four delegates plus uh, one observer. Uh, one person from uh, Panama, uh, I think that's what it says anyway. Um, 
From South Africa, we have 16. From the United Kingdom, of course, we have 35. And from the United States of America, we have 47. Uh, and we've got one person who we don't know where it's from, uh, two from Denmark, one from Samoa. And so the grand total there is 167. And that data set is complete as of this morning. So obviously people can still register. You can do that uh, ICEB conference at RNIB. Dot org, uh, dot uk if you want to register. Um, the presentation, the postcard has just finished at 9.25. Um, so I've, I'm monitoring Zoom again in the background. And we seem to have Richard West back. So um, possibly we're going to go back oh, to Richard good. West at the start of the next session. So um, that'll be quite cool. Won't it? We're not quite sure what happened Technically, we were just talking about that on Zoom at the moment. So we'll go to Richard first, then to In Memoriam. Uh, so countries go alphabetically again, and they'll get two minutes to talk about anybody who's passed away uh, in the past four years. So that's since 2016. And then on to country reports. And I was just saying, I was saying to uh, you, Holly, offline, wasn't I? Uh, isn't it brilliant that we've ran under time? Because that means it got more time for the country reports. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's great because, I mean, one thing we hope to do in the hour we took before the General Assembly actually started was go through the country reports and for various reasons we didn't get to it. There was a lot to do and we had to start a bit late. So it's really nice actually knowing that there'll be more time spent on this and that hopefully everyone will get a really good sense of what's been happening in the various different countries. Is there anything that particularly came out of the country reports for you? Oh, I... Honestly, there were so many different things. I mean, the progress that's been made on UEB across all the different countries. Um, I thought it was really interesting from the Australian report of preschoolers learning Braille music. I don't know why, but that out of everything, just that was such an interesting piece of information. I think it was yeah. quite a nice piece of information. Absolutely. As a musician, I was really, really happy uh, with that. That was mm. that really stuck out to me as well. And it's really good to see people um, continuing to release guidance and things. Here's Mandy with the next session. Yeah. My empty wine glass. Um, right. OK, <laughs> welcome back to our third and last session of the day. And Richard, I'm sorry for all the problems we've had in getting hold of you, but we can hear you now. So please, if you'd like to go ahead, right. we'd love to hear from you. Thank you, Richard. Right. This is well, my apologies. Introduce... My apologies. Go on, sorry, go on. Can you hear me? Go on, no, carry on. Yeah, no, I was just saying, uh, introducing you as the immediate past chair of UCAF. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, my apologies for the uh, glitch in the technology. It's technology I've used uh, quite a lot over the last few minutes, a uh, few months, so I, I don't really know what went wrong. And uh, I hope this won't sound too silly um, halfway through the first day. Anyway, so Christo, officers of um, ICEB, delegates and uh, observers, a very warm welcome to this seventh General Assembly of ICEB. This is, of course, a very different event from the one we had been uh, planning for a couple of years. Um, but uh, on behalf of the UK Association of Accessible Formats, in partnership with RNIB, I extend a warm welcome, if a little belated, to you all. We, we all know the reasons for um, having to change the uh, uh, date and, uh, and nature of, uh, of this event, but I'm sure 
that despite the constraints forced upon us by COVID-19, uh, this will be a productive and enjoyable uh, assembly. Over the next five days, we intend to work through all the business and presentations originally scheduled for um, the um, assembly we had arranged all those months ago. But we have now prepared the material for us to study. And my thanks to those who have put it all together. It's very much appreciated and makes it very worthwhile. However, there is one important um, feature of an international gathering, which we will all miss. And that is the opportunity um, to um, have informal discussion and meet the, the people we only know of through email or perhaps Zoom meetings. I was certainly looking forward to um, this aspect of, of meeting you all here in London, but uh, we, we'll do our best over the phone. For some of us, of course, this may be a, a pleasure which uh, may not be open to us in future because we might be in different jobs and different uh, ways of, uh, of, of, of living and working. But uh, we do miss it, and I'm sure that that is the one thing which will be missed uh, as part of this assembly. As the retiring chair of uh, UCAF, um, I am grateful for all the work that ICEB um, carries out uh, to promote the use of, uh, of uh, Braille internationally. Some of this um, effort is on a rather complex detail, which is not always apparent, but over time would be missed and, and lead to unresolved problems if it wasn't actually carried out. So we're pleased that that is still going on because language is always evolving with new text formats and, um, and structures which uh, Braille must keep abreast of to enable VI people to communicate effectively. I am particularly interested to note that um, some countries where English may not be the first language are taking an interest in UEB. And I hope that it may be uh, possible for such countries to become even more active within ICEB in future so that um, their needs and concerns may be fully covered in the ongoing work of the Council. As mentioned above, at the last UCAF AGM, I stood down as chair and Roger Furman, who many of you know, uh, took over I still have a seat on the um, board of UCAF and will be still involved in our Braille working group. Finally, I would like to thank Mandy White and her team 
for all the hard work in preparing this conference, especially for the necessary change of uh, plans and uh, ensuring that we have a comprehensive program to look forward to this week. My thanks to you all for joining at the assembly. And again, a warm welcome to you to this virtual General Assembly. And I really do hope that it will soon be possible for us all to meet again in person in the not too distant future. Thank you very much. Thank you, Richard. Okay, I'm glad we finally managed to get you on the line and I'm sorry again for all the uh, technical no, difficulties. I, well, I think it might have been my problems, but we're solved. So that's We're sorted, good. we're sorted. Yeah. Thank you very much for your kind words. Right, okay, so returning to the um, programme for um, the last session of today, um, this is the time when we will be remembering friends and colleagues from across the world who have contributed in many ways to the Braille code that we know and love and are sadly no longer with us. And following on from that, we will have the country reports. Um, I'll once again go through the countries in alphabetical order and ask that a nominated person gives a short two minute resume for In Memoriam because we only have um, 15 minutes for this. So um, our Secretary Francis Mary Dandrea does have the names of all the people that you would like to remember and um, your thoughts and, and um, what you say about them. And they will be, that will be included in the minutes. So this two minute session is really just for you to pick out um, any um, people that you would like specially to mention, um, and then we'll pass on to the next country. Okay, so uh, our first summary fees from Australia. Thank you. Oh no. Jordi? Is it Geordie who's speaking for Australia? Yes, Geordie's nodding. Oh, we got some. Have yes. I got some audio now? Yes, you have. We can hear you loud oh, and clear. Fantastic. Thank you, Geordie. Thank you. Go ahead. <laughs> Having trouble with Alt-A for some reason. <laughs> okay. I would like to acknowledge uh, three people who have sadly left us uh, since the 2016 General Assembly. Nicole Donaldson sadly passed away after an illness and she was a tireless educator and advocate for people with vision impairment from Queensland. She served as a committee management member of the South Pacific Educators of the Vision Impaired. And she also served as chair of the Queensland Regional Braille Forum, which is a subgroup of the Australian Braille Authority for six years. Nicole ran um, the very successful Braille Club, which is a program that runs in Queensland for children using Braille in Queensland once a term. Pam Sandu, who passed away in 2019, was an extraordinarily talented uh, transcriber and tactile illustrator and a teaching assistant uh, from the Townsend House School, now known as the South Australian, Australian School for Vision Impaired. And she, her career spanned over 50 years. Uh, she's remembered for her little books that she produced, which are a series of small books about 10 centimetres square in diameter. And um, 
each book focused on a letter of the alphabet and those books contained little pictures which used real objects for kids to feel like a little pocket with a lolly in it, a sweet or something that the children were to find. So she's a very passionate advocate and teacher. And lastly, Diana Braun passed away in April 2019, aged 81 after a long illness. Diana was a long-standing and active member of the Association of Blind Citizens New South Wales, a very passionate Braille advocate. Um, and she was also the librarian for um, the Association of Blind Citizens in a uh, paid capacity. Um, Diane, Diana actively uh, presented radio programs and is particularly known for establishing the Blind Citizens Australia National Women's Branch. So yeah, I'd like to acknowledge Nicole Donaldson, Pam Sandu and Diana Braun. May they rest in peace. Thank you, Geordie. And moving on to Canada, please. Can we have your brief summary? I would like to um, to mention four people um, that we would like to honour. Uh, starting with uh, Constance Craig. She was a certified transcriber and coordinator tactile graphics at CNIB. She was instrumental in the research into tactile graphics that led to the eventual development of the tactile graphics guidelines, which was a joint uh, Canadian Braille Authority and uh, Braille Authority of North America projects. She also led the development of the tactile graphics course and certification in Canada. Lillian Sitt, CNIB volunteer, music transcriber. She arranged a concert as a fundraiser for CNIB and she was very proactive for uh, Braille and music, Braille music. Uh, the third person is Barbara Anderson, who was also a transcriber and a prime member of the Tactile Volunteers CNIB. She was a sculptor as well and she contributed a great deal to the, the development of CNIB Tactile Program. And finally, Jean Stobel, who was also um, a, a, a CNIB transcriber. Those are the four people that, uh, that Canada would like to honour. Thank you. Thank you, Jen. And moving to, on to Ireland, please. Hi there. Good evening. Good afternoon. Good morning, everybody. Uh, Mandy, Ireland have two people to uh, mention. Um, Rosaline um, um, O'Halloran um, was um, a visiting teacher who um, worked mainly in rural Ireland, traveling throughout a number of counties to uh, mainstream schools to ensure that not only children in mainstream education had braille skills, but also the teachers who worked with them were properly um, supported as well. And she passed away at the end of last year. And Jared Byrne, who worked in the sight loss service for over 20 years, passed away in 2017. He was instrumental in the setting up of Braille production services and the management of community-based staff, many of whom he supported to learn Braille, to work more closely with their clients. So we remember uh, those two people. Thank you. Thank you, Ireland. And New Zealand, please. New Zealand, who's speaking from oh, New Zealand? Uh, Maria. Hi, Maria. Hi. Thank you. Please Hi, go Bill. ahead. Um, we would like to acknowledge um, three people from New Zealand. Firstly, um, Lisette Wessling, um, 
who many of you may know, um, she passed away in September 26th. Got because it was a very accomplished, uh, sorry, soprano, uh, soprano who taught singing and braille music in New Zealand and um, Australia and in the United Kingdom. Also Maureen Rauri, who was a proofreader for more than 30 years, who was also specialised in braille music, and Michael Turner, who passed away just to this, uh, not long ago. Um, he developed a braille teaching scheme for adults. Um, may they rest in peace and we honour them for the braille contribution they have made. Thank you. Thank you, New Zealand. And moving to South Africa. Thank you, MC. We have four people to uh, recognize and honor. The first is uh, Antoinette Botha, who has been very instrumental in the development of UVC in South Africa. And she has been passionate and uh, working with many stakeholders who were advocating for the Braille in the country. The second one is Kwane Okamp, who worked with ISAP uh, at some stage at its, its, at its inception. And she also drawn up books that were very much instrumental in the teaching of how to read Braille, uh, which were known as the Six Dots and the Suspender back in the uh, late 70s, which were quite used there. Uh, the next person is Renat Popplestone, who at the time of her passing, she was the vice president of uh, the South African Braille Authority. She authored as well the Hands-On, which is a book used by uh, people who, to teach Braille. And the last one, uh, whose biography I'm still going to submit to FM is Chrissy Miller, who has been a proofreader of Braille for many years at the Braille Services of Blind SA, and she retired uh, in 2005. Uh, she just passed away just recently. Thanks, Mandy. Thank you, South Africa. Um, United Kingdom uh, don't have anybody, so we'll um, go correction. straight... Oh, Correction. sorry, James. I've just been notified of one. Ah, right, okay. Um, which is, uh, I'm sorry for the very late notice, FM. I've just sent you an email. Um, Sid Wilson, um, who worked at the St. Vincent School for the Blind in Liverpool. Is that it? Thanks, James. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Thank you, James. Moving on to um, United States, please. We acknowledge five significant contributors in the field of Braille who've passed away since the Sixth General Assembly. Dr. Susan J. Spungen was an, an international re internationally renowned expert in the education and rehabilitation of individuals who are blind or visually impaired. She represented the American Foundation for the Blind, on the Banner Board in the 1980s and is one of the former chairs of the Banner Board. Camille Caffarelli was the founding executive director of Horizons for the Blind, a member organization of Banner. And through her innovative work, the range of products and services now offered nationwide by Horizons includes Braille, large print and audio billing credit card statements, hotel directories, restaurant menus, newsletters, and much more. Jerry Whittle, 
represented the National Federation of the Blind on the Banner Board for a short time. And over more than 30 years, he helped thousands of blind adults from all over the US learn to read and write braille. He published many articles about techniques for building braille reading speed and fluency. Anne Kelt served on several BANA technical committees, including Braille Formats and the Foreign Language Committee of which she served as chair for more than a decade. She was a leader among Braille transcribers for more than 40 years. Charles Cook was the computer programmer who in the late 1970s developed NFB Trans, a widely used early Braille translation program that was available free of charge to anyone and had a user-friendly interface. All these individuals made the world better in many ways, more than can be mentioned here, and we are forever grateful for their lasting contributions. Thank you, Jennifer. So many thanks for those glowing and touching tributes to all our Braille friends who have passed. Which brings us to our final section, country reports. Hopefully everyone will have had a chance to read these papers. So much fascinating Braille work happens across the English speaking world and unified English Braille gives us the opportunity to learn from each other and share resources. So now is our chance to hear about the highlights of the work undertaken over the last four years. And if there is time, the opportunity to ask questions. So that. Timing on this is, is um, probably about five minutes for highlights and two minutes for questions. So um, Australia, <laughs> once again, please take it away. Thank you, Mandy. Australia has, um, sorry, Australia has continued actively promoting Braille through consumer and educator involvement in our regional Braille forums, which, um, as I mentioned earlier, are subgroups of the Australian Braille Authority. Unified English Braille is now rec the recognised Braille code in Australia, um, which makes Braille translation uh, much more streamlined for producers and, and Braille readers. Australia and New Zealand continue to jointly run the Trans-Tasman Certificate of Proficiency in Unified English Braille. And since the 2016 General Assembly, we've had 28 people achieve proficiency. Australia is also very much involved in the ongoing work conducted by ICEB through the Code Maintenance Committee. We can also report that all Australian banknotes in circulation contain tactile and high contrast mar markings uh, so that uh, blind people can identify money by touch. The National Disability Insurance Scheme has completely rolled out across the country and this enables easier access to braille technology, in-home supports and community participation uh, for people up to the age of 65. And beyond 65 there is another scheme that is, is currently still being rolled out. Braille signage in Australia is increasing and includes art galleries and new public buildings and this has been as a result of much hard work conducted by the Australian Braille Authority and Blind Citizens Australia who offer input when the access to public building standards is updated. ABA has a number of communication channels, including a website, which houses all of our publications, a resources page, and a directory of service, which is very widely accessed, and also a Facebook page, which is updated very often, and it's fantastic. 
2021, ABA will celebrate its 40th anniversary and we plan to hold an event in some form at the National Conference of the Roundtable on Information Access, which will be holding its 40th anniversary celebrations too. So hopefully, although our conference will be virtual, um, hopefully we can do something next, next year and the year after that in, in person. Our organisations continue working hard to promote Braille. Vision Australia and Braille House, which is a, a volunteer transcription organisation, um, provide adults with Braille training courses in both Grade 1 and Grade 2, correspondence and face-to-face. -face. The Vision Australia uh, dedicated STEM and music transcription team is kept busy. We provide fee-for-service transcription services and also a free personal support services for clients, which is funded by the federal government. Um, we are also looking at using EPUB 3 as a pathway into automated Braille transcription. Uh, both Vision Australia and Braille House has uh, online catalogues now. The Statewide Vision Resource Centre continues to see an increase in requests for the use of Braille by students. Families of blind children are invited to participate in, in two programs in particular. One is the Dot Power program for uh, children, Braille using children from preschool to year three, and the Support Skills program, which services students from years four to 10. And they participate in areas of the expanded core curriculum, including Braille music, Braille maths, and tactile art, etc. Uh, for the past year or so, uh, the Statewide Vision Resource Centre has partnered with Monash University on a project to research how 3D printing can enhance access to the curriculum. The Royal Institute for Deaf and Blind Children um, produces books in dual media for children and has also begun working with 3D printed material. Both SVRC and the Royal Institute for the Deaf and Blind Children have noted the that among our um, older and more proficient Braille students, there is a growing tr trend towards electronic documents um, accessed by students using refreshable Braille displays and note takers. However, hard copy Braille is still just as important. UEB Online, which is the world first free online collection of uh, training materials has received a UN award this year. And this was presented in mid-February at the Zero uh, Project Awards in Vienna. Uh, currently, the UEB Online offers courses in UEB Literacy, Mathematics and Advanced Mathematics. We acknowledge three people who have received awards since the 2016 General Assembly. Christine Simpson was the 26, uh, 2018 recipient of the Roundtable Lifetime Achievement Award. Um, as many of you will know, she was instrumental in editing the second edition of the, uh, the UEB Rulebook. Dr. Gillian Gale was awarded a, an order in, of a, a Medal of Australia for her services to children with vision impairment throughout Australia. And she also developed uh, or co-authored a braille training program called Aussie Dots, which is still in use. And Josie Howes was awarded an honorary, honorary life membership of the South Pacific Educators of the Vision Impaired. And Josie has been involved as a delegate to ICEB since it's is its inception from Australia and um, serves on the Australian Braille Authority Executive. So it is truly exciting to see how much more flexibly Braille is utilised in Australia in this ever-changing world of, of technology and access. Thank you.
Thank you, Geordie. That's a really interesting summary there. Does anybody have any questions for Australia? No? Okay, so um, we move on to next alphabet. Canada, Canada, please. Can we have your report? Hello, uh, once again, <clears throat> everyone. Um, I think we all agree that 2020 has been a very eventful year and not least of the items of note is that this is the 30th birthday of Braille Literacy Canada, initially originally incorporated as the Canadian Braille Authority. Something else that we've done just starting in 2020 is that we've launched our Braille Zoomers program. And basically it's a uh, program, a peer support group for adults and uh, seniors who are learning Braille. And as a part of that program, we also have, um, we've put together some Braille starter kits and we've uh, recently sent out two starter kits to our participants. Um, the kits contain things like Braille flashcards and a Braille labeler, um, a slate and stylus, and a number of other, uh, a number of other things as well. I also want to highlight in terms of um, Braille, um, availability of Braille, access to Braille in public spaces. We recently, BLC recently put out a kind of an official statement on access to Braille during COVID-19 restrictions, particularly with regard to signage. Um, many people over the years have worked so very hard to, to um, obtain um, to win the right for us to have Braille signage. We don't want, uh, we don't want to see it disappear because of the situation so we uh, wanted to make sure that we you know we kind of we promoted the fact that braille is still necessary even in a time when there may be concerns about uh, contact with uh, in public spaces so we've released that statement uh, one a couple of quick points on availability of braille books we have uh, the canadian equitable library um, Oh my goodness, I'm sorry, Canadian Equitable Library Access. CELA, um, they have launched a program called Single Use Braille, where if you, you can request electronic Braille books, but if you want a hard copy, they will produce it and ship it directly to you and you, um, you know, must not give it away or sell it or do any of those kinds of things but you can keep it. It's, uh, they've determined that this is a more efficient way to get more books to people um, with, without having to pay for storage space of thousands of volumes of Braille. By the same token, the uh, National Network of Equitable Library Service uh, is, is um, also working to make more Braille titles available to people across Canada. So access to more Braille books is always a good thing. Finally, I would like to highlight um, our very own Darlene Bogart, who won the Order of Canada. Um, this is one of the, she's been made an, offi an officer of the Order of Canada, pardon me, and this is one of the highest uh, civilian honours that we can bestow and um, for her work, for her contribution to Braille over many years. And uh, we as Braille readers are very grateful for all that Darlene has done. I would also, while on a note of thanks, I would like to express thanks for Phyllis Landon for all the work uh, that you have done over the last 10 years as chair of the Code Maintenance Committee. Uh, you may have been deterritorialized since 2016, but you have certainly represented Canada well. So Phyllis, thank you very much. And finally, last but not least, uh, again, on behalf of Canada, I know I'm not the first and I won't be the last to do this, but I would like to thank Mandy White, 
and her team, her teams, for the tremendous amount of work that you guys have done, uh, not only for the wonderful event that um, we had hoped for in person, but also for the shift to, um, to the Zoom platform. So thank you very much on behalf of Canada for all that you guys have done and are continuing to do over the next few days. Thank you. Okay, thanks a lot, Jen. Does anybody have any questions for Canada? And this I'm also, Nat yeah, sorry, go ahead. This is Natalie Martinello from Canada, uh, President of Literacy Canada. Jen, thank you. That was an excellent report as always, of course. I just wanted to also echo our thanks to everyone who organized the the General Assembly this year and uh, our thanks to Phyllis for all that she's done and I wanted to just quickly add that uh, one of the things that we're very happy about is that the uh, Center for Equitable Library Access is now also producing our Braille Literacy Canada newsletter in hard copy Braille for anyone who would like a copy and so we'd like to thank them for that and also acknowledge um, Dr. Kay Holbrook who um, is a recipient of our President's Award for 2020 um, to oh, acknowledge all of the incredible work. I'm sure many of you know um, Kay Holbrook, all that she's contributed to the Braille world, both in Canada and internationally, and certainly within our organization over the years. And we're happy to answer any questions. Thank you, Natalie. Does anybody have any questions for Canada? I've also been reminded, and I've been a little remiss, uh, that we have a number of observers. So um, observers, please feel free to raise your hand if you would like to ask any questions. No, do we have any, Shabani? Nope. Okay, so um, we move on from uh, Canada to Ireland, please. Thanks, Mandy. Um, Ireland is the baby state of ICEB. We only joined in autumn 2012, so Baltimore was our first General Assembly and this is the second time that Ireland is represented. Um, a few highlights from the last four years. Um, the UEB implementation in schools was finished in Ireland in 2017 and at state exam level shortly afterwards. The whole implementation process was really very successful, cooperative, and we finished ahead of schedule. We had set 2020 as the goal and were actually through with the implementation by the end of 2018. Um, hand in hand with this implementation, the Irish Braille Authority's um, Maths Braille Working Group published UEB technical material guidelines in 2017 specifically in line with the occurrence of math symbols in the Irish primary and secondary school curriculum. And that has been very successfully used by educators and transcribers alike over the last few years. Um, in terms of UIB, our updated Irish Braille code, um, since we presented that code at the last GA, Two reviews took place and the first ever introduction of short forms to the Irish Braille Code was made in 2017 and after intense feedback further extended in 2019. The full code is now implemented in both Duxbury and Liblui 
And it means that for the first time that children in Irish schools who are studying Irish from the first class to their final class in school have correct representation of the Irish Braille code on their electronic Braille devices, which wasn't possible beforehand. And that also hints to the very rapid development over the last four years to Braille displays and devices now having a firm place in the schoolroom and are widely available, which is very, very positive. Um, Ireland was very honored to be able to host the midterm executive meeting from the 17th till the 21st of April 2018. Um, we had a very good meeting, lots of CMC meetings and some very nice social events and were blessed with the weather for once, which is quite unusual for over here. Also in 2018, Ireland ratified the Marrakesh Treaty. I think we'll be talking about that later on during this assembly, but just to say that from our experience, the impact of having had the treaty ratified has been tremendous for Braille producers and has cut out a lot of admin and paperwork and has sped up the production process. Um, just to finish off, I'd like to say a few words about the Braille support in Ireland during the pandemic. During the lockdown here, the first lockdown, all libraries closed except for two libraries serving people with visual impairment. So the NCBI's library access service continued via digital um, using Bookshare and postal services to provide Braille material to readers. Child Vision also operated on both paths and sent out individual educational packages to all students and also posted story times for early years and primary school students via digital platforms. Braille production in Ireland actually increased during lockdown, which was very, very positive outcome. With um, stricter lockdown measures to be expected tomorrow, we really hope that the same strategy of keeping key Braille services open will apply again. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ilka. Uh, any questions for Ilka and the Ireland delegation from delegates or from observers, if you'd like to raise your hand, if you have any questions? No? Okay, so moving on to New Zealand, please. Um, yes, hello, it's Lena Coleman here. I'm just going to um, present um, a couple of highlights and updates regarding our report. Um, so as Geordie mentioned, alongside the Australian Braille Authority, uh, BANZAT uh, administers uh, their part of the Trans-Tasman Certificate of Profic Proficiency in Unified English Braille. Um, to date, since 2010, we have 157 uh, candidates who have uh, passed this exam and gained the certificate. So we're quite proud of that achievement. Um, BANZAT celebrates 10 years this year, and we plan to have a, an anniversary um, celebration uh, in November. Um, we have, uh, among other various teaching groups that uh, Blind Low Vision Education Network New Zealand are doing, we also have um, an adults 
uh, Braille Music Group alongside the teaching of adults learning Braille. Uh, that's at Blind Low Vision NZ, uh, where teachers are encouraging adults who have read print music in the past and are now learning contracted Braille to learn Braille music and play in a small ensemble. We hope to extend this in the coming years. And also preparation is underway for a Braille music retreat um, in January 2021. And that is an, uh, for adults to get together and sing and play music. It's a short update, but that's all we have for you. Thank you very much, Lena. Any questions for New Zealand? From delegates or observers? No? Okay, so moving on to South Africa, please. Thank you, MC. Just quick highlights. I'll start by acknowledgements. Our Department of Arts and Culture, as it was then known, uh, currently, it is renamed Department for Sports, Arts and Culture. Uh, they always supported us. In 2016, when I attended the General Assembly in Baltimore, they funded my attendance there. And in South Africa, they play a pivotal role in ensuring that Braille is sustained by funding Braille-related projects. So we acknowledge that. The Partnership between Blind SA and uh, the South African Braille authorities, it must be uh, renowned and recognized for its groundbreaking uh, uh, activities that they try and do together, including train, but of more importance is, is the, uh, the, the, uh, uh, bringing of the president to the constitutional court for the signing of Marrakesh Treaty or the signing of the uh, Copyright Amendment Bill, which has taken more than 15 months for the president to react on that uh, ever since it was ad adopted by both the parliament and the National Council of Provinces last year in March. So Blanese and Saba had partnered in doing that bring the matter to court. The relationship between the Department of Basic Education and the authority, it's uh, somehow very cold in that the much expected task team for LTSM uh, in Braille did not really do much in terms of intervening in braille related matters as expected ever since it was established in 2016 and the last meeting which was quite uh, maybe recognizable would have been in 2018 but of late they had two meetings which were following up on their previous one we hope that uh, much more will be done from those interventions the other thing i would want us to take note of is the establishment of the Braille Museum in the country, which was an undertaking the Braille Authority had uh, taken uh, in 2018. Engagements had uh, ensued between various members of the authority, 
but it is pleasing to note that we have now partnered with uh, Plant SA to ensure that the museum gets a room there where uh, it will be housed and everyone who wants to go and uh, visit, they will be using that facility as provided by Bland SA. So that was a great move for South Africa. I think it should be launched uh, in 2021 in the date and venue, which will still be announced because currently, because we didn't have the General Assembly in 2020, we are expecting to have one in 2021. And that should be where this, where and when this, this museum will be launched. In short, Chair and uh, MC, that should be South Africa's highlights. Thank you. Thank you very much, South Africa. And over to the United Kingdom, please. Thank you, Mandy. So over the last four years, UK Association for Accessible Formats, or UCAF, continues to produce all sorts of guidance documents, particularly around Braille. Uh, we've had maths documents and uh, various other bits you can read about in the report. Um, and also the music group of UCAF have also been working hard on things like the interaction between UEB and the Braille Music Code. We've also um, produced a series of podcasts about UEB in conjunction with the RNIB. And um, they're sort of 10 minute series of podcasts which introduce people who may not be familiar to the code, um, all on the UCAF website. The UEB Ed mailing list continues to be popular for asking questions about the code, all things from particular contractions in certain words, right the way through to why can't I answer this question on the Australian UEB online maths course. And it's usually a question of grade one indicators, by the way. The Welsh Braille Primer um, has been published. Um, and we continue to work with ICEB on all sorts of things, including the word list uh, of all sorts of interesting words and how to contract them. Uh, people in the UK were particularly pleased to be able to take part in the survey which ICEB ran about the apostrophe and single quotes. So it was very warm feedback about the actual ability to contribute to the discussion. Um, I'd like to mention that. Um, apart from organizations like UCAF and the RNIB, the Brailists Foundation um, has really stepped up this year, um, especially during lockdown. And they've been running weekly Zoom calls on a variety of subjects, um, including Braille for Beginners, uh, all sorts of talks about how we cope during the lockdown and the pandemic, uh, through to even a cooking class, uh, which is interesting. And they also run the Brailecast podcast, which has all sorts of interesting items and interviews with people from around the world. Another initiative has been the Tactile Times newspaper, which was recently launched for young people. That's not that's in another organization, the Tactile Times. 
So we'll hear later on during the conference about the Lego bricks, the tactile braille Lego bricks, um, which RNIB was involved with, uh, development of. And as Australia mentioned, in the UK, we now also have tactile markings on our new polymer banknotes. In the UK, we've been particularly interested in the advent of the new lower cost range of Braille displays, um, two in particular, the Orbit Reader and the Canute. And during the lockdown, the RNIB managed to send out Orbit Readers with a great variety of books loaded onto them um, as our Braille library building was closed and we couldn't gain access for a while. In parallel with that, the Scottish Braille Press managed to send out several hundred books to interested readers as well. It's a great initiative. The RNIB has also launched their reading services pro, uh, website where you can download both audio and electronic Braille books. I'd like to thank everyone for all their amazing hard work during the last four years and not least to ICEB for all their wonderful work and answering loads of questions from me. Thank you. Thank you, James. Thank you, United Kingdom. Um, any question for James and the UK? From um, we have Bill Jolly, so I'm just going over to Bill Jolly. Okay, thank you, Bill. Is Bill unmuted? Yeah, I'm going to try unmuting again. Bill? Uh, we can't hear you. I'm really sorry. We're going to have a have a little go with this at our review meeting tomorrow with um, observers and, and uh, muting and unmuting. There seem to be issues with that. Really sorry, Bill. Hope you can join us again tomorrow because we seem to be having problems today. Bill, um, Kate Williams from to, the UK. Be, oh. Bill, feel free to email me, Bill, if we can't get you. Did I just hear you, Bill? That was Dave. Oh, that was Dave. Right. Okay. All right. Thank you very much, um, UK. Dave Williams oh. from the UK. Oh, yes. Hi, Dave. Uh, Jim McCafferty, one of our delegates, um, also wanted to add to uh, James's report with the comment that in addition to the hundreds of books distributed on SD card by uh, RNIB during the time that the Braille Library, hard copy Braille Library service was suspended, um, the Scottish Braille Press also uh, distributed around 300 Braille books uh, thanks to support from the Scottish Government. Hello, it's Jim McCafferty here. Oh, Jim, brilliant. Uh, Hi, Jim. I would just like to add to what David Dave has said, uh, and that that was in fact uh, an initiative that you know they got a grant from the Scottish government, which was excellent because you know it's good that you can spend somebody else's money without spending your own. <laughs> said a true Scotsman. Thank you very much, Jim. Okay, <laughs> anybody else for the UK? No? Okay, thank you very much. And moving over to uh, the United States, please. We've got some raised hands. Oh, have we got some raised got, hands? We've got Matthew. Sorry, I, I think um, I can see on the list, has Bill managed to unmute himself now? 
It says he's unmuted on my screen. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> a false alarm in that case, but he's he's definitely unmuted at my side. We can see see him saying something, but um, no. yeah. Okay. Moving on to um, the United States, please. Thank you. Okay. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, the United States is now almost five years into its implementation of Unified English Braille. Um, overall, the implementation has been progressing well with assistance from the BANA member organizations and um, national and state groups that support transcription. Um, I guess, transcription production and instruction. The Library of Congress Braille certification program um, for transcribers has now issued 750 new UEB certifications uh, for transcribers and proofreaders, as well as approximately 450 letters of UEB proficiency to continuing transcribers and proofreaders. Um, certificates in Nemeth Code and Music Braille also continue to be issued. Um, an additional certification course has been developed that will focus on technical transcription in UEB and will be available soon, hopefully sooner than later. With the increasing availability of lower cost refreshable Braille displays, um, the appeal of reading and writing Braille electronically is growing in many arenas. The National Library Service for the Blind and Print Disabled is piloting two refreshable Braille displays that will be available for free and on loan to patrons of the regional libraries. NLS has produced more than 1,700 books in Unified English Braille in the past four years. Um, while the federal, the federal law, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, better known as IDEA, mandates that students with visual and or um, disabilities receive a free, appropriate public education, each of the 50 states is responsible for its own system of education. As a result, procurement or production of Braille materials for school children is handled at the state level. Both UEB and Nimeth Code are official codes in the United States and are fully available for use for Braille transcription um, of technical materials. BANA's recommendation is that the um, decision to use UEB or Nemeth code within UEB context for technical materials should be made based on the Braille reader's individual needs. To date, approximately 17 states are reporting that they are providing mathematics and science materials in both codes upon request. Other states are using uh, primarily Nemeth code. According to the National Center on Educational Statistics, the United States has approximately 13,600 uh, school districts and close to 131,000 public and private schools that serve children with, from kindergarten 
to 12th grade. Obviously, not all schools include Braille readers, but it is a reminder that implementation of code changes in a country as large as the United States um, takes some quite quite some time. Um, the Braille Authority of North America has published several documents in the past four years. The Banna Nemeth Code Committee has embarked on a full revision of the um, Nemeth Code for mathematics and science notation, incorporating rules and examples um, for switching between UEB and Nemeth Code. The committee's guidance for transcription using the Nemeth Code within UEB context has been quite helpful. Similar guidance was created by uh, regarding Banna's chemistry code, an offshoot of Nemeth Code, of course. The Banna Chemistry Committee is at work updating the full Banna chemistry code. The Banna General Committee on UEB created a provisional guidance for transcribing uh, mathematics in UEB and is gathering comments. The document was designed to supplement the rule book and provide some practical suggestions to increase un um, uniformity of transcriptions, particularly for standardized tests. A document with guidance on the product, the production, I'm sorry, of early literacy materials has been approved by the Banna Board and is being prepared for publication. Also, guidance for Braille producers and software developers on the use or non-use of um, computer Braille code was approved and will soon be released. And finally, an update of the Banna tactile graphics guidance to align with UEB is still in progress, but is close to completion. The Tactile Graphics Committee um, meets regularly to discuss issues that arise in the alignment. The revision will include examples, both from UEB and Nemeth Code. Um, so other activities that Banna has participated in, the COVID-19 pandemic has taken its toll on nonprofit organizations across the world, and we've lost two organizations um, in, with BANA. They are, have ceased to produce the Braille, produ um, Braille production. This brings our membership to 16 members as opposed to the 18, and we still have three associate members. BANA um, presents a biannual award to recognize outstanding contributions to Braille. The award was renamed in spring of 2019 to the Darlene Bogart Braille Excellence Award in honor of the ex in honor of the retirement of longtime CNIB representative Darlene Bogart, who had served on the Banna Board for more than 40 years. The recipient of the 2019 award was Dr. Robert Engelbretson. He's associate professor and department chair in, linguist, in linguistics at 
um, Rice University in Houston, Texas. Dr. Engelbretson was recognized for his development of the um, internationally recognized Braille phonetic alphabet. And that is our report. Thank you very much. Um, so are there any questions on any of the reports or any questions on um, the United States report? Do we have any? No, okay. And do we have any, I know we're having problems with observers. I'm just wondering if we have any waving hands. Mandy, this is Jen from yeah. Canada. Um, I just wanted to, I don't know when a good time to note this is, but um, perhaps I should have mentioned it when I was summarizing my report, but CNIB has um, hosted um, the ICEB conference calls. I don't know for how many years someone um, who's been around longer than I have would have to tell me, but for many years they hosted our conference calls. And now that we've switched to uh, Zoom recently, uh, this year, obviously, we switched to Zoom, but I just kind of wanted to acknowledge that and thank them. Um, CNIB did celebrate its 100th uh, anniversary in 2018, and I forgot to mention that as well, but thought I should <laughs> highlight it. Thank you, Jen, for your PS. That's very good. Thanks. Okay, so um, that brings us to the end of today's proceedings. Just a couple of things. Um, I know that we've had difficulties with some of the um, technology, which I guess was probably always going to happen. Um, it seems to be around people joining by phone and also um, observers wanting to raise hands and um, and ask questions. So we do have um, a technical meeting tomorrow morning scheduled. This is a UK one where we will investigate that and try out uh, several scenarios so that we can remedy that for tomorrow. So that's um, one thing. The um, second thing is just to thank everybody because um, amazingly we are finishing ahead of time. So that's great, uh, especially for South Africans that um, uh, it's quite near bedtime for you guys and not far, not that far away from uh, for us in the UK and Ireland. So thank you to everybody for being very timely today. Um, Thank you for to all our contributors for making the first day of our virtual assembly such an interesting and memorable one. I'm sure you'll all agree that the keynote speech was uh, fascinating, interesting, challenging, and I think we should have that in mind as we carry on through the week and um, make our deliberations and discussions and resolutions. Um, Tomorrow, we look forward to the first of our themed days with Braille Music taking center stage. So please take the time to um, read the papers and watch the presentations. There's some really interesting stuff coming up. So catch up again tomorrow. Until then, good morning, good evening and good night. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Bye now. Can I just mention then? Oh, sorry, Christo. Uh, nominations have now closed. Oh, sorry. Yes. No. Yeah. Yeah. I should have mentioned that. Thank you, Christo, for reminding me. Yes. Nominations have now closed. So um, we will refer to the mailbox and see if we've had any. And we shall let everyone know tomorrow. Okay. And then we adjourn. Pardon? 
And then we adjourn now. Yes, and we adjourn. Okay, thank you, everybody. Thank you for your time. I look forward thank to you. seeing you tomorrow. Good night, everybody. Thank Cheers you. now. Good day. Good night. Bye-bye. Bye. And so there we are, people uh, now starting to say goodbye. And, uh, oh, what do you know? The meeting has been ended by host. Uh, that was very sudden, wasn't it? Um, Shabani has uh, has ended the meeting. And uh, I'm now going to not make the same mistake as I did last time and bring back up Holly Scott Gardner uh, just to do some closing comments. I was comments. about to ask you. You were about to ask <laughs> me whether I'd remember to press the button. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the, the sheer cheek of it. I mean, come on. <laughs> For me once, shame on, how does it go? I don't even know. Um, but yeah, there you go. So um, 28 minutes past 10. That's pretty good going, isn't it? Um, I you know. can't believe it. No. And I'm kind of sat here going, you know, it's actually a pretty good job that we didn't summarise all those country reports because we actually got more of a summary than I perhaps expected from the country reports given how much time we'd allocated each of them. Um like when we did this in 2016 the country reports just went on and on and on and on and like that's not a problem but it's really interesting to see how uh, effectively we can condense things when it's virtual i don't know if you found the same in other virtual conventions that you've been to yeah i have i mean i think people are much more aware of the time because it is so precious and usually virtual conventions are allocated less time so people are very much thinking okay I've got to get this over with quickly whereas I think sometimes when you're at an actual conference um, and you're up in front of people you have a tendency to really want to say everything because you're there and time doesn't quite feel as immediate and I think also with us being at computers we perhaps have access to the time a lot easier it's a lot easier to check our own time and go oh I've been talking for two minutes i better stop yeah that's a fair <laughs> point I, I, i've recorded some i've been involved in the pre-recording of some of this stuff and like it was so easy to have a, an alexa on in the background you know running a timer which i just wouldn't be able to do uh, in in other settings uh, so it, I, that is a very true point there um i guess we probably don't want to go on much longer because we finished early and and well whatever but um do you not think it was really cool uh, jennifer dunham in particularly but I'm, I'm sure i heard other people actually hearing people reading from hard copy yeah it's really nice i think it's it's cool to see i definitely appreciate when i hear the sounds of hard copy braille you know or even when you hear a display or something and you, you there's that very recognizable sound of someone reading braille yeah, it's an electric and display. i definitely yeah. think that's mm, <laughs> yeah and i definitely think it's nice because because you just i mean this is all about braille and the importance of it and whilst lots of people will be using screen readers and you know rightly so we need to have access to the full range of tech but it's there's something just nice about it yeah and there's a real buzz about this isn't there like i mean i've listened to live streams and stuff in the past of mm. of, of iceb but like you to me there is as much buzz about this as there would be about an nfb convention or um you know any of the other big consumer advocacy stuff that goes on right I, th I think it's perhaps on a slightly smaller scale in that, you know, an NFV convention is going to have thousands and thousands of people. But I think for the number of people, yeah, there's absolutely 
conversations going on. I mean, and people are talking on Twitter. So ICEB is tweeting using the hashtag ICEB2020. I've been tweeting a bit. And then I happened to mention that, you know, I then started actually reading about Irish Braille because I got so interested as soon as I heard it. And I can't help myself with languages. Um, and I sort of jokingly tweeted that this is how it always starts. You know, I start reading about the Braille and then I end up learning the language. And I, I mentioned that I'm not finished learning Hebrew yet. And it generated conversation on Twitter. So that's been nice as well that, you know, people are talking not just about Braille, but then it, it kind of breaks off into other things. But certainly, you know, now people are talking about Irish Braille on Twitter, which is really cool. Yeah, that is really cool. Irish Braille and Welsh Braille. Uh, Welsh Braille didn't get as much of a mention mm. this time because Welsh Braille was mentioned pretty heavily, I think, in, in 2016, 2018 at the midterm exec. But that is uh, really cool. The Twitter landscape. I mean, I, I haven't been keeping up with Twitter because I've been doing technical things in the background uh, while this has been going on. But um what does that look like uh, since you say you've been looking at it? Yeah, so there aren't loads and loads of people tweeting, it has to be said. I think it's the first day. I think if I know social media, then more people will start talking when we get into music and technology yeah. and things that maybe there's more questions about or more debate. This has been very much procedural and I think there's been a lot of good stuff and necessary stuff but it's not stuff that I think people really outside of ICB are going to have all that much comment on I mean I've I've had a few things but for the most part it's just been ICB tweeting but I see more people um particularly once they see the tweets coming from ICB and start to get interested and perhaps tune into the stream later on in the week I, I see more conversation generated around braille music, technology, and all the various different papers and presentations. Yeah, that's true. I, I, I was expecting more questions for the country reports, if I'm honest. I don't know about you, but I think part of the problem, well, the problem, I mean, it's not really a problem, but it goes back to what we were saying before about time management and probably pre-conference prep um you know all of the documentation was sent out to the delegates and the observers and the delegates and the observers have all had chance to read it and i wonder whether perhaps they've spent more time reading it this time than they would do normally because they know that time is going to be short like normally you'd get questions and you'd the answer would be well if you'd have listened five minutes ago i'd have told you what the answer was and there wasn't any of that this time which i think sped things up <laughs> Yeah, I think so. I mean, I know certainly when I've been to conferences and things before, whilst I have all the good intentions of reading everything in advance, often you're so busy traveling there and organizing hotels and all this other stuff that comes up. Or, or you go maybe a day in advance and you think, oh, well, I'll spend the evening before reading all this. And then you see someone that you haven't seen in three or four years and you think, oh, well, we'll have a chat. And you, you never actually get around to reading it in as much detail. But certainly because it's all online and everyone's very used to working from home now as well so I know for me fitting things in to read a paper or something it feels quite normal just to do it when I've got some spare time whereas perhaps normally I wouldn't be so used to doing that kind of thing yeah I think that's true so let's uh, uh I was gonna say let's wrap it up it might be worth looking through these the notes that we both made on the country reports I, I know for me certainly when the country reports were being presented I went through and uh, and read uh, read back through my notes and deleted the stuff that got talked about to see if there was anything that we needed to cover off that we, you know, that we would have covered that wasn't covered. Um, 
while I give you some time to find that, um, <laughs> just to just to comment on ICEB. Well, I was more worried about my computer. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> well, oh, just my question: How long? No, it, it's fine. I'm loading it now. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, just just to comment on ICEB. I've always made a point of calling it ICEB because um, I don't particularly like ICEB. Um, ICEB came from speech mm-hmm. synthesizers because uh, many speech synthesizers would pronounce it ICEB. Interestingly, when it was launched, uh, and it, it's a real shame we didn't get to hear from Bill Jolly. Uh, I think there was possibly a technical problem at Bill's end, in addition to the technical problems that we were having. Um, so I wanted to intervene on that just to just to check that the that the problem couldn't be solved at our end. Um, but it's a real shame we didn't hear from Bill. Uh, Bill Jolly was the treasurer of ICEB. Uh, for a, I don't know quite for how long, but uh, he was also on the organising committee for the 2008 General Assembly in uh, Melbourne, I think it was, and co-opted to the Code Maintenance Committee for you know lots and lots of experience. And uh, so it's a real shame we didn't get to hear from Bill. But I bring up Bill because he used to call it, and I'm sure there were others that used to call it Ice B. Um, and I thought that was a much better name, and it's a real shame that we don't call it Icebee anymore. Icebee actually sounds quite funny, but it's also nice. Yeah, I did notice several people calling it Iceb, and I thought that must come from screen readers. It's, I, I'm sure you'll know what I mean. It's one of those things that you hear someone say something a certain way, and you think, oh, they've been using a screen reader. Yeah. And it happens in other contexts too, and I just can't think off the top of my head, but you know exactly what I mean. No, I do. I do know exactly what you mean, and it definitely did come from, um, from screen readers. And I think, sadly, it might have actually come from the UK. Um, we were calling it ICEB uh, while Bill was still calling it ICEBE, and I think slowly it kind of just made its way, you know, into the... <laughs> into the ICEB infrastructure. I, think... I did notice um, that James very much called it ICEB. <laughs> yes. Well, I, yeah, I very much call it ICEB just just to avoid ICEB and, uh, you know, to avoid the problem, basically. Um, I, I think, thinking about it, I think Mike Townsend... Uh, we, we saw Mike Townsend in the room today. I didn't manage to get a snapshot for the stream of who the observers were and um, that that there were a fair old number of observers. I think at peak we had something like 65, 66 observers. Uh, We did see Mike Townsend, Dr. Mike Townsend, to give him his full title, uh, in the room. Mike Townsend was the ICEB PR person. Um, When was he PRO? I think he was PRO 2012 to 2016. And, I mean, everybody... uh, Do you know Mike Townsend? Everybody in the UK knows Mike Townsend, right? No. So you're saying his name and I think I know who he is and I'm like I I now can't think who he is but I'm sure I know who he is. Yeah, he's he's <laughs> he's had his fingers in lots of pies. He was um he was president of BCAB for a long time. Um possibly chair of BCAB at one point and uh, chair of Torch Trust and uh, worked for RNIB on the Braille side and UK rep to ICEB of course. Um was very active in Bork. So Mike Townsend did a lot of the initial publicity when the Braille Authority of the UK uh, was first looking to do UEB, and that's the, uh, the the predecessor to UCAF, was Mike Townsend that went to all the Site Village exhibitions with the UEB sample material. And all the blind people that say, I wasn't consulted when UEB was brought in. You should have had a conversation with Mike Townsend because he definitely would have consulted you. Um, so he... 
he was that. Um, just while I think about it, actually, it's possibly worth... We, we didn't really talk about the relationship between ICEB and the Braille authorities. Is, is that clear to you now, having gone through the first day? Or perhaps is more clarification necessary to, to make you properly understand that as a non-ICEB person? I think it's fairly clear to me, yeah. I mean, I don't know how it is for other people, but certainly for me, it's it's quite clear. Yeah. Sure. So every country has a Braille authority and they all kind of volunteer to be... Well, they don't volunteer. They, they pay their subscriptions, right? But like <laughs> they all kind of volunteer to be part of this International Council on English Braille. So it's, you know, uh, the UK could leave ICEB if it wanted to, but it's kind of not going to because it would lose out on all of the networking that uh, ICB, ICEB affords right. it. Um, uh, speaking of... UCAF, it also occurred to me that I probably should have explained that uh, U Richard West was the immediate past chair of UCAF. He only stepped down in June. And so the reason why he gave the welcome this evening, and it was really good to hear him, the reason why he gave the welcome was because we were working from a program that started life for a General Assembly in May. And so in May, he would have been the chairman and therefore it was felt appropriate that in spite of him not being the chairman anymore, it was felt appropriate that he should... Uh, continue to do the introduction and I think we might hear from Roger Furman who's the new chairman well we'll hear from him tomorrow actually because he's presenting a paper um, but we'll hear more from him on Thursday and Shabani the person in the room I, I neglected to introduce Shabani Shabani is an admin volunteer for the RNIB and uh, between her and Mandy they've been doing most of the work you know Shibani's basically been doing all the admin for the general assembly and collecting registrations and sending out delegate packs and uh you know everything uh, doing scheduling all the diaries making sure everything works keeping people in the loop uh you know that's that, that's really what Shibani's role has been in all of this and she was the moderator today i don't know if it's worth going through these country reports just very quickly. I don't know. Australia, I, actually, they went through everything that was in my notes, basically. Yeah, Australia's was very comprehensive from what I can see. I mean, I don't, I haven't really picked up on anything else that we should mention. I mean, it seems like they've been doing a lot, which is actually really nice. And I certainly appreciated, um, in particular, when they talked about braille signage is increasing, particularly mm. in art galleries and new public buildings. I thought that was really good. And that is something that, whilst we have braille signage in the UK, um, I definitely have some feelings about braille signage and that we need more of it and we need more um, regulation surrounding braille signage. And where is where does signage go? Okay, do we have you know standards that are written for signage? Um, and that's just a personal, um, I don't want to say issue, I have, I don't think it's an issue. I, well, it's, it's um, not an issue. I think it's but important. Yes, absolutely. And and how yeah. high should it be? I mean, there are some stupid examples yeah, yeah. of Braille signage, right? Like the sign for the fire exit oh, is above yeah. the fire exit door. Like how is a blind person supposed to yeah, feel yeah. that, right? And signage where the, the it's well, yeah, black dot Braille. one of those at work. Sorry, there's a bit of a delay on the on the team talk, I think. You said your dad had an example. Yeah, so at his work, there was a sign which was located above a door. So he had to point out to them that actually that's not very helpful for a blind person. Yeah. 
No, it's crazy. And signs backwards. Um, Dave Williams, one of the UK delegates, uh, he was saying that he'd get into lifts and it would say to people on the ground floor button because the zero button had been put in backwards uh, or upside down. <laughs> you know, and, and really there is no standardisation. So it's it was really good to see that mm. mentioned. I quite liked the thing as well. Did they mention it? Um, maybe they mentioned it and I was doing something else, but they, they, the ABA directory of Braille in public spaces, that was mentioned in the report. Mm. I don't know if they actually brought it up in the presentation, but I thought that was brilliant. So you can go on the internet and you can find a list of restaurants with Braille menus. Um, and I just thought that was absolutely brilliant. Um, I mean, it's not brilliant insofar as surely everyone should have Braille menus, right? But I feel like in the meantime, it's it's actually a really good way of um, giving people some recognition. I guess on the Canada report side, um, I've got some fairly lengthy notes on Canada, actually. It was a really fun report. Jen, Jen is good at giving reports, I think. Um, but... There's a French translation of the UEB rule book. Um, I thought that was really impressive from Canada. We don't have a Welsh translation of the UEB rule book, for example, um, but they, I guess French is spoken a lot in Canada. So there's a French translation of the UEB rule book. Uh, there's no Braille version yet. They're still waiting for that to be transcribed. And importance of Braille recognised in the Accessible Canada Act. Do you happen to know anything about the Accessible Canada Act? I guess it's like the ADA. Um, I do not know anything about that, but what I do know is that Canada does not have any civil rights law for disabled people like we have the Equality Act, America has the ADA, so I don't know that it is quite like the ADA, I don't feel like that would be an accurate comparison, I'd have to do some more research, but from what I know they don't have actual legal protection of disabled people, which is quite surprising because you would imagine Canada would. Sure. And the Brailler bounce, I don't know if you picked up in the paper, it wasn't mentioned, the, the, the Brailler bounce got a lot of coverage in 2016 uh, when it was mentioned in the 2016 report. So the, the Brailler bounce is an initiative where um, Brailers are loaned to people who need them. It's like a, a Perkins Brailler loan scheme. And I, I don't really know the ins and outs of it, but I thought it was really good to see that carry on because Perkins Brailers, I mean, they last for years but to get a new Perkins Brailler is actually quite expensive and possibly prohibitively expensive for some. I think Perkins Brailers are quite expensive. I mean, I was just looking recently actually at the cost of them and it's a chunk of money that certainly not everyone's going to have. And certainly, you know, when we look at the employment rate for blind people, I just think so many people wouldn't be able to buy one when there's other priorities. So I think it's a great scheme. Mm. And Ireland have a similar one, I think. Did I see that in the Ireland report? Um, I'm just looking down the yes. list. Yeah, they launched one in 2017, didn't they? Yeah, so they have the, the loan scheme, um, which, as you said, was launched in 2017. I, I actually thought the Irish report overall was really interesting. Um Lots of good things. I mean, I liked the Braille Reading Day for school children. I thought that's really I nice liked that. I thought it was um, a real shame that that didn't get more things, coverage. Because yeah. mm. uh, So it didn't get talked about at all, did it? It's where... Um, what what did I write down on it? Um, school children read Braille and it's at oh, their I level. Did, yeah. 
Yeah, and they receive positive feedback from judges. I thought that was quite cool about it. Yeah, I really like that. So they get feedback from the audience and from judges. And I think it's really nice. And it's ran in conjunction with their Braille organisation. Um, and as you know, we've said it is for school children. I think that's a very maybe unique thing. I mean, America has the Braille challenge, but that's more of a competition. But I think it's nice to have something where actually children are getting good feedback and that we're having a positive philosophy around braille and that actually braille is a good thing yeah and isn't the braille challenge also a way of uh collecting data or is that something else there's a huge data set of braille reading information out there isn't there if you know where to look yeah there is i mean what the braille challenge does to a degree i imagine there will be some data collection but for the most part the braille challenge is a competition and it's divided into all different age groups and there's also a whole section for um reading tactile graphics it's it's actually kind of cool when you think about it because children compete for their state and then the winners of the state competition go to a national competition and they get to fly out to los angeles so this year it was all done virtually and several children will compete, you know, every year of their life, certainly congenitally blind children. They'll they'll go all through school competing. And I think it's cool because children who read print, so sighted children, they can compete in all kinds of things, whether it's sports or scholastic competitions. But there aren't many academic type competitions for blind people. So I think it's a really cool thing, but it is much more involved than this. And I think actually sometimes less can be more and I you know certainly for a small country like Ireland it's actually quite a big thing to do a braille reading day yeah I thought it was really impressive what Ireland had done considering how small they are like you know they I think they have did they say they had three blindness agencies or was it four blindness agencies and they all kind of work together because the island is so small Yes, so what they have is they've got four blindness agencies which all serve different purposes. So you've got, you know, their their Braille authority, you've got someone like Fighting Blindness Island who is more focused on the medical and cure side. And all these organisations work together, so they do different things. But then you also have, there's three main transcription centres in Ireland, which again I think is, is good. Really there are two libraries providing hard copy Braille. Yeah, I I mean, I'm actually really impressed when you consider just the population of Ireland and the size of the country. It's actually very, very good. Yeah. So New Zealand was uh, presented by... It wasn't presented by the author. I thought that was quite interesting. Was it Lena Coleman who did New Zealand? And I'd put on my notes that it was Clive Lansing who was going to do... Uh, New Zealand Clive was in the room uh, so I guess I guess it was just a, a, a pragmatic decision for somebody else to to do it um, certainly what came out of the New Zealand report for me which didn't get talked about very much is um, accreditation um, they were talking about I, I don't know how much people know about the Trans-Tasman certificate but the, the from what I know of it the Trans-Tasman is a very uh, high level it's a certificate of proficiency it's not a certificate of knowledge, it's a certificate of proficiency. And so you'll be given like 10 pages of grade one or something and you'll be expected to transcribe that into grade two. As If you're a blind person or if you're a sighted person, you'd be given like, you know, print and asked to transcribe it into braille and it has to be accurate and the formatting has to be right. And you have to do it on a Perkins and, you know, kind of like the old RNIB braille course used to be uh, before they scrapped it and 
you know, it's it's not as good as it was. But I thought it was quite cool that they're looking to do an entry level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, this is a transcriber talking, right? So of course I'm I'm not going to look favourably on dumbing down Braille courses. Uh, I I should do really because it gets more people interested in Braille. But you know, but um. Yeah, a lower level qualification. I thought that was quite interesting that they were looking to do that um, because uh, I think it is necessary, and I think um, I think it's I think what's more necessary is to have it and to acknowledge that it is a lower level qualification. Um, I feel like so many qualifications now are um, it's not very clear what they actually qualify you to do. And so to have that distinction between trans-Tasman and the, the lower level qualification to me would be, I think, quite important. I mean, I think it's a positive choice from an educational perspective because actually there's a need for courses at all levels because we're going to have people of varying different abilities, whether they read Braille for themselves, whether they're a transcriber. I mean, if I was asked to do a transcription job, I'm not a transcriber, so I wouldn't probably do a very good job, but I'm a reader of Braille and I think it's okay to acknowledge that, to say, actually, I don't have skill in this area, but I do have skill in this lower area level you know that's still useful so actually i agree with you that what they're doing is they're they're putting these qualifications within a framework and they're saying this is you know not as high level it's not as transcription focused and that's important because as you say often it's very hard to know okay what does this actually qualify you to do i mean if you get the national certificate in unified english braille in the united states well that doesn't actually qualify you to be a transcriber and it's really important to realize that and i think um it's very important for agencies that that work with blind people to realize actually if someone comes in with with one certificate what level of knowledge do they actually have and how highly are these certificates ranked because it's all very well to say well i've got a certificate in braille okay but at what level of braille yes absolutely and uh, running on a par with that i think it said in 2015 they launched a qualification for specifically um transcribers doing computerized braille production so again we're talking not just about braille proficiency here but we're talking about transcription proficiency and duxbury proficiency and mm like I, I, you would be the first person I'm sure you know because we've talked about it who would say yeah I know Braille but I don't know Duxbury yeah I know Braille I'm a proficient Braille user as in I use it every day for myself I read Braille in multiple languages I think I'm at well I'm at three plus some German and French um but I really don't know transcription and I know technology well. I know assistive technology well. I understand accessibility, but transcription itself is a skill and you can't just say, well, I know Braille and I know technology, so I know how to transcribe. No, that that's not the same. I mean, my transcription work is, well, I'm not a transcriber, so it's fit for me and nobody else. Yeah. <laughs> And that's fine if you want to just produce work for yourself. But if you're trying to produce mm -hmm. work, you know, as a transcriber, and we see it so many times with, you know, QTVIs in the UK, qualified teachers of the visually impaired, and they'll say, right, you know, I, um, can you can you emboss this work? And they don't realise that, yeah, I can emboss this work, but it's going to look awful. And actually, if I want to do a decent job of this, I've got to be a transcriber. And I don't think we have any qualifications in the UK on transcription other than 
internal stuff. If you get a job at RNIB, you'll be trained up how to do transcription the RNIB way. And then when you leave RNIB, you'll take that knowledge with you. But like, I don't think there's an external exam that you can take. And I think that's a real gap in the market. So it's good to see um, New Zealand adopting uh, a qualification and it was also good to see and they didn't talk about it very much in in 2019 the paper on strengthening standards around confidentiality so it sounds like they're really getting a lot of transcriber heavy stuff sorted out which perhaps isn't very interesting to the braille reader but i think from a transcriber's point of view it's really important and actually even from a reader's point of view knowing how confidential your information is I mean, d does it ever occur to you? I know it has done to me in the past. You know, I'm going to get my bank statement transcribed by such and such an agency. And I know that a blind person works in that agency and I'm friends with that blind person. So there's a high probability that they've seen mm, how much money I've got. And that could make me a little bit uncomfortable, right? I think it's a concern and I think absolutely it should be a concern. I mean, certainly in the UK and in the EU, we're talking a lot about data protection and people go, oh, data protection's boring. And okay, it may not be interesting for everyone to read through the regulations, but actually I think it's everyone's business to know how our data is being used, whether that's electronic data or not. And you're absolutely right. The blind world is small. Um, we always get annoyed when people assume we know every other blind person, but there's also a grain of truth in it, I think, that a lot of us do know each other. And certainly those of us who are working and really active in blindness fields, there's an even stronger probability that we know one another. So it's occurred to me, I mean, I think about under the NHS accessible information standards, well, I could request all my medical documentation in Braille, but then sometimes I do think, well, actually, will it be someone I sort of know reading my medical records and that makes me feel vaguely uncomfortable and I think unfortunately we can never get away from that but actually when I see a country like New Zealand putting in regulations and asking these difficult questions and saying well actually how do we ensure confidentiality that's really important because there's no point in going well this is an uncomfortable question we won't deal with it actually we should be dealing with it and we've got to be asking those kinds of questions. Yes I'm just looking through the rest of the New Zealand report. I feel like we could talk about the New Zealand report all day and uh, I sort of don't really want to do that. But th there's a there's a theme running through, through a few of these reports about the Marrakesh Treaty. I don't think we really need to talk about that except to say mm. that New Zealand also have ratified it and fairly recently in uh, in 2020. So that's um, that's good. And they've got Braille competitions too. And... Um, I thought it was really encouraging that they have Braille signage in taxis, even though it's no longer a legal requirement to have Braille signage in taxis. Yeah, I think that's really nice. And I think we've also got to look at, unfortunately, often we do have to mandate accessibility. So we've brought in, you know, accessible information standards, various different kinds. The EU's brought in um, accessibility regulations for public sector digital websites and although that's slightly different it's along the same sort of lines that unfortunately sometimes we do have to mandate this stuff but actually when it isn't legally required it's actually good to see it because we shouldn't have to require it and to see people do it when it's not required is so important because I think that sets a very strong precedent going forward that access to information is a right and 
whilst you know it is um upheld within legislation actually people should do it just because it's something we need yeah yeah absolutely so looking ahead to the rest of the country reports um well, actually, just to just to acknowledge Wendy Richards in the New Zealand report, because she got a PhD for uh, work on Braille music, and I thought that was quite... Uh, it's good to see more Braille music. We haven't seen Braille music uh, mentioned as much as perhaps we should have done in the mainstream of Braille. Uh, the mainstream of Braille, right? But, yeah, it's, it's good to see that. South Africa, um, they have competitions. That was interesting, uh, uh, you know, and, and equipment offers and uh, and things like that similar to other things and certification that's really interesting uh, there's a there's a Saba Duxbury template uh, which the UK also has a Duxbury template and I think that's um, it's really quite telling that there's all these Duxbury templates Australia has one as well it just didn't come up in the country report because well it was already written um, so there's all these Duxbury templates coming out but a particular note in the South Africa one for me was uh, and it didn't really get talked about was the fact that South Africa has so many languages um, I, I, I don't know I don't know if you know uh, how many languages South Africa has I know there's Afrikaans and and obviously there's there's English but it was interesting to see the really tight work that they're doing on interfacing all of these languages into UEB and adapting the like so you know adapting the Afrikaans tables and stuff um, so that they more closely align with UEB and I think that's really positive. Yeah, I think that's really really cool and it. Yeah, I personally also don't know how many languages that South Africa has, but what I thought was really interesting as well, I was actually like I said reading about Irish Braille and it's it's very similar in Unified Irish Braille that they're bringing it in line with UEB as well and that's very very encouraging in countries where English and another language or languages are used that there's really work being done to say okay how do we actually make this a seamless experience probably for transcribers but also for braille readers because I think a lot of the problems arise when you go well oh this is just too difficult but actually the kind of beauty now of having UEB is that things are very much being developed and constantly changing and that actually allows us to build much better systems than perhaps we've had before. Yeah. The United Kingdom acknowledged and didn't speak out loud, uh, but acknowledged the retirement of Stephen Fippin and Sally Zimmerman. Um, I was particularly pleased to see those names mentioned in the UK report as a UK person and, you know, myself having worked with both Stephen and Sally. And um, I mean, Stephen was um, Stephen was a marvel. I mean, he was a, a sighted person who'd done computer science and he knew computers and he knew braille and um, a lot of the internal systems that they now use at RNIB for transcription were architected or designed or, or developed or some combination of everything um, by Stephen. And he wrote a lot of the internal documents like the, the Brailleists manual. Um, he brought the Brailleists manual up to date um, in, you know, to bring it in line with UEB and, um, he served on the UEB committees, represented the UK on those, so he really knew his UEB stuff and um, and his Braille stuff and just everything. I mean, you could ask him a Braille coding question and he'd go on his bookshelf and 
find the book from like 1960 where the decision was made and it, I mean it was just absolutely phenomenal the amount of, of um, knowledge that Stephen had so it was good to see that acknowledged and of course Sally Zimmerman from the music service uh, you know Sally Zimmerman came to my school when I was 10 and did a music assessment uh, that's how hands-on Sally was uh, so again a real loss to the community but it you know glad to see them acknowledged apart from that the report was fairly piecemeal there was nothing really um said that hasn't already been said um working on braille music with the daisy music project though and um we have a document now that actually specifies the standard of a braille cell um the space between the dots, the height of the dots, the space between the cells. Um, so I thought that was, uh, that's probably worth noting. Of all of the documents that we produced, I think that one's probably the most interesting. And it's also the one that I didn't help to write. So, uh, you know, maybe that's why I find it interesting because I've just, like, I know the others um, so well. Um, Gardeners Trust Braille Music Literacy Competition. So there's, you know, more more competitions and just looking finally at the US report, um, I think the only thing for me that came out of that that, that wasn't discussed was the NLS e-reader pilot. Yes, yeah, so I actually do know a few things about that because I've attended the last two National Federation of the Blind National Conventions where that was mentioned. So what they're doing is they're offering um, lower cost, refreshable braille displays to patrons of the National Library Service and so you'll get that through your state library so I don't know if you're aware of how it operates but basically to join NLS what you do is you join your state library for the blind so I was a member for example of the Colorado Talking Book Library which though it says talking books um, there's braille involved as well and what happens is by joining that you then become a wider member of the National Library Service and so you can access things like NLS Bard and get your audio or braille books through that. So if you're a member of your state's library they will issue these um, refreshable braille displays very much like they issue the NLS talking book players to their patrons and so you'll get that for free um, I'm presuming alone I don't quite know how it works and then you'll be able to access their braille books on those devices which I think is really exciting actually and I think it's going to bring braille to so many people who think well I want to read braille but actually oh I don't know do I want to invest in this do I not and hopefully also it will encourage the development of lower cost refreshable braille devices as well which I think is a secondary but nevertheless very important uh, aspect of this. One thing that did strike me from the country report is that the United States is perhaps the country in which adopting UEB is most controversial in some ways. I mean, there's there's people who moan in England. There's, of course, there is. You know, people who who learnt um, standard English Braille and who say, well, UEB is too difficult. But certainly, the US has the controversy of mathematics and are they going to use UEB maths or Nemeth? And what struck me from the country report is 17 states currently offer both to children in schools. And I know this from having been out in the US that there, there may be two children in the same school district, one using Nemeth and one UEB, depending on 
what the child wants, usually also what the parents want and what the TVI wants. And there are certain, uh, I think it's fair to say political, in terms of the blindness political landscape, um, issues with adopting UEB mathematics in the US. But I do think the US has made some positive steps forward in terms of certainly literary UEB Braille, absolutely. I mean, when you saw the 1,700 books produced in UEB by um, the Library of Congress, that's, that's important, that's a good thing. But certainly there was a lot, I think, that doesn't get said in the United States Country Report, or if you have to read between the lines, perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's fair to say, isn't it, that Abraham Nemeth, um, he, Abraham Nemeth was only died fairly recently and wrote the maths code. Mm. And I feel like perhaps, um, I don't want to say he's held in as high esteem as Louis Braille. That's not really fair. But I do feel like there's there's a feeling in parts of the US that perhaps we we ought to honour Nemeth by continuing to use his code. Well, absolutely. That's a lot of it. And um, Nemeth's ties with the National Federation of the Blind play into it because of being associated with the Federation. Many Federationists um, just will not acknowledge UEB as a positive. They say, well, it takes up more space than Nemeth, therefore it's bad. And actually, taking up more space is is something to be talked about you know if, if a braille book takes up an extra volume okay that is a consideration but it, it's not necessarily something that makes it inherently bad and i think that unfortunately a lot of these arguments ha- well they've, they have devolved into just arguments now about well you know oh well you can't do high level maths using ueb the mathematics code the ueb mathematics code is bad is a statement i've seen in the us and i've i've said that well that's not true there are people doing high level mathematics using ueb and if there aren't that's just because ueb is fairly recent for all of us so actually a lot of the children learning ueb haven't yet gone to university but maybe in 5 years we'll have a load of them doing maths so i think um sweeping statements are being made in the United States when actually there's very little evidence to back those statements up and I think um, that a lot of the time they point fingers at the UK and they go well you'd never send any blind people to university to do maths that's because UEB is bad and I'm like well hang on there's, a, there's actually a lot of things at play and it's not fair to say that it's down to UEB and I think it's very controversial yeah um, but I mean I I I do have sympathy for the people working in the US trying to get UEB and I think they have made as I said positive steps forward. Yeah, absolutely. And just to come back on the e-reader trial, it was interesting that one of the things that you didn't mm. mention as a positive of the e-reader trial is that hopefully it will uh, increase proliferation of BRF files. Yes, I'm honestly I really hope so. I mean There are already a fair amount of BRF files that you can get from the National Library Service. Not all of them are going to be UEB just because things are getting moved over, but it will, I absolutely think, increase the amount of BRF files and that can only be viewed as a good thing. I personally view it as a great thing. I'm always after more BRF files, so (laughs) I'm, I'm happy. Yep. Okay. Well, it's ten past eleven, and we have gone through all of the country reports, some in more detail than others, but then some had more detailed presentations than others. I don't think there's anything more that really needs to be said. Um, 
for today I don't think possibly it's worth looking very briefly ahead to tomorrow we'll start at half past seven tomorrow Uh, we'll be joined by Sally Clay tomorrow who is a braille musician because the theme is braille music and we'll have the braille music technology report um braille music technology i don't mean the braille music technology i mean the braille music committee report it's it's late over here so we have the braille music committee report um when we have the braille music papers and that will take us all the way through the first session and then in the second half uh, of uh, we'll have the constitution and bylaws report the treasurer's report and the promotion and <clears throat> publicity report um I think I'm going to need to read through the Constitution report because there were um, there were some mentions made of that today um, about deterritorialising. I don't know if you uh, have any particular thoughts on deterritorialisation. Um, I don't know that I have, so I mean it'd be fine if you don't. But I'll put it out there as a final question. Um, do I have any thoughts? Not necessarily. I actually don't think it's a bad thing because I think ICB does seem like actually quite a democratic organization and one which really has respect for all of its members and i think that's very very important and what you wouldn't want is for one country to hold a lot of the positions and therefore represent their country above all others and it doesn't seem like any of the countries actually want to do that right everyone seems i mean most people in the braille world what they really care about is better braille for everyone they're not in it for themselves but i don't think it's necessarily a bad thing just to make sure that everyone feels fairly represented. Yeah, I think I'm broadly in agreement with that. Well, at um, 23.13 in the UK, uh, 11.15pm, I think it's about time that we call this coverage of the 7th General Assembly of the International Council on English Braille to a close. It's been an absolutely fascinating first day. My thanks go to Holly Scott Gardner uh, from somewhere up in Yorkshire. I should just say we are completely socially distanced uh, while we do this. Uh, I don't think it's possible to get much more socially distanced uh, than we are. Uh, But particular thanks to Holly for being on the stream tonight and she will be back tomorrow for the second half uh, dealing with constitution and bylaws and uh, all of that fun stuff that we get into. But um, yes, half past seven tomorrow evening, that's 18.30 UTC, right back here. If you missed any of this, go to live.brailcast.com and the archive will be up uh, soon. I don't want to commit to a time frame, but certainly by this time tomorrow, the archive will be up and uh, chapter marked and all of that. And you can search, of course, for ICEB General Assembly in your podcast client of choice and download the podcast. For now, though, from me, Matthew Horsepool and Holly Scott Gardner, thank you very much for listening and we'll see you again tomorrow.